And welcome to Gleaming of the Geek. The, we have a leader in the clubhouse for Worst Lost of the Season episode. Oh, John's real. I love how John's standards for this, which has become a thing, I think. This is how this goes on this show. Much like John's uh, theory that he could put a Major League Pitcher's fastball in play. It starts off as a, a just a casual mention. Sure. Then one of us gets sort of obsessed about it. We mention it 11 shows in a row, and then it's a thing. John's uh, started a while. I mean, was the idea that every season, I suppose every season that doesn't end uh, in the World Series, so for the Twins, every season since 1991, has some sort of, uh, you call it like a signature loss or the worst Mm -hmm. loss of the season, which has now evolved into John's got a whole trade. I think I originally started sort of the low point of the season. Right. And we always use the uh, 13 to 12 loss in Oakland in 2020. Yeah. Or the... Or the... the, 2021. uh, Or the... Lost to Cleveland, the Grand Slam. Yeah, there was about three of them <laughs> last year in Cleveland. They were all in Cleveland. No, no, I was thinking 2019, the uh, loss in Cleveland with the Grand Slam where they fell out of first place after being there for two months or something. We're like, oh, it's over. Yeah, but it wasn't. No, it wasn't, but that uh, was still the so worst John's loss obsessed now with finding the, the worst loss of the season, but <laughs> here's my theory as to what's happened now that this has become something that John's sort of trying to measure and track and uh, whatever. He's taken it a step too far, yeah, and now his his – kind of bar to clear to get that is higher than it's ever been in any other season yeah, ever. Sure. Like, if we were to watch that 13-12 Oakland loss, which is truly the maybe the worst loss just in terms of <laughs> gameplay that I've ever seen in my entire life. It was also like a week and a half into the season, right. too. It, yeah, right? it was. Yeah, I think right. it was like the end of April right. or whatever. Yeah. John would have been like, hey, let's hold off on that. And so now <laughs> they lose Sunday's game to Cleveland, which... Uh, Thursday's game to Cleveland. Thursday, Wednesday's yeah. game. Wednesday's like game. Friday, 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 Wednesday's Sunday. game. You're right. Yeah, yes. Excuse me. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was. <laughs> right. the, today's Friday. Hi, everyone. Um, they, lo- they lost game three of the three-game Cleveland series. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Let's speak go. in those terms. Sure. Uh, on some day of the week that ends in Y. It's early Friday. Let's, let's try it. Nah, the <laughs> the earliness early. has nothing. I'm just dumb. <laughs> I'm just old and dumb. Uh, that, to me, is like, like you know, as you said, the leader in the clubhouse uh, golf-wise <laughs> right. for the worst loss of the season. But even then, John's like, let's hold off. I see something worse around the bend. <laughs> but I'll say this. If there's one that's considerably worse, like c- clears that easily, yeah. it went really bad. Something well, went what, really that's bad. That's what I said. Because the, part that's of what the committee, that was the, the statement the committee made, right. which was, part know, of the, we part have of, f- history suggests there will be a worse loss than this. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> because part of it is it can't just be if it's truly just like a top 10 all-time twins loss right. like that Oakland one yeah okay but for the most part it needs some stakes to right. it yeah. at least and so there's only three games against Cleveland left right. now you're saying they're gonna do a Emilio Pagan versus um, <laughs> Josh Naylor or something from last year sure uh, which you know I mean if that does happen they're in they're in some trouble but this week just in general it's not even this week because today's Friday but those next six games right Three at Texas, three at Cleveland. This is the whole thing right here, to, in my mind at least. And I don't mean that literally, obviously. Right. But if you make it through – and we've sort of been mapping this out now for over a month. And it's really the last six of what was a 15-game stretch where this was true. Right. But really right now, you you lost you know, uh, two out of three to Cleveland at home. 
which took your lead from potentially they were a strike away from it being back to seven right. with 28 games yeah, to play, exactly. which a seven game lead with 28 to play. I mean, you're looking at 98% probably. Yeah, I felt like pretty that. good about that. Yeah. Now they're at five. Now here's the, the reality. And I know twins fans are going to kind of reject this premise, <laughs> uh, but the reality is this morning, I think baseball reference had them at 93% baseball or uh, fan graphs had them at 95%. I know that doesn't seem right to everyone, uh, <laughs> But you got to keep in mind, if they were tied, they'd be 50%. Do you know what I mean? That's the baseline of this thing. And so to have, let's say they had a one-game lead. Well, what would that be? 55%. Two-game lead, 65%. You know, and on and on. You get to a five-game lead with 28 to play, it's it's pretty good. You toss in the schedules. And both of those sites, it should be noted, are also viewing the Twins as a better team. Right. Which also factors into it. And that's not just because they have a better record. They're looking at, like, the players involved and the projections involved and all that. But – Here's what I'll say. If they don't at least hold their own here over these next six, which are the they, – they play Tampa Bay in a week and a half from now basically. Right. But other than that, these are the only remaining like tough – this is it. Like you, you make it through this little gauntlet here. Right. And even – you know, it depends where the losses come. If they all come in Cleveland, it's different. But you go three and three, you're in great shape. You go two and four, you're not even in the worst shape. You go four and two or whatever, we can start talking about playoffs. Right. And this is it here. And it, it sucks to have this six-game uh, gauntlet right after you just lost back-to-back very frustrating right. games to right. a team that you could have kind of uh, thrown some more dirt on their grave at that point. But that's how the schedule is. This is the reality. And for the most part, the Twins have been pretty good this season. And just in general, I would say under Baldelli of bouncing back yeah. or, or well, not letting bad stretches get to horrible stretches yeah. now and, well, and in fact that's one of the things about the worst loss of the season both in 2019 right. 2020 you identify the worst loss of those two two years in both times it looked like they had abs- they'd fallen out of first place in both cases uh you know they'd not done anything at the trade deadline. one of them they had a terrible loss versus their main rival and then the next day they the incline started again. They, right. just, they just started going back uphill. One thing I'll say, so I, I do think that's a credit generally to the players and the staff and Baldelli's personality. I think that fits kind of his yeah, uh, yeah. way of viewing a 162-game season, which is never get too high, never get too low. I personally have sort of take that same approach. We try to generally take that approach yeah. to the podcast. It right. can be difficult at times. But the other, you know, this is half joke and half not. They've also had a lot of practice in bouncing back from bad losses. (laughs) We know that they bounce back pretty well because it's the 75th time in the last two seasons that they've had to bounce back from this thing. And I will, I guess last September, they didn't bounce back from anything. They just <laughs> yeah, but that was, a, I think, a different story. We also talked on Monday on the Patreon episode a little bit about if they were looking for a cautionary tale, there was one over in the other dugout because the Texas Rangers had fallen from right. a commanding lead in the AL West to not even in first place. And not only not only were they you know, not in first place, they had fallen behind the team that had been in third place. They'd lost seven and a half games, eight and a half games to the Mariners over less than a two-week stretch. And the one thing that that has in common with sort of what we have is that the Mariners were a worse team than everybody thought they were going to be. And then suddenly they weren't the worst team that everybody thought they were going to be. And right. that if, like, if you're, the easiest thing to say right now is from a twin standpoint is like, there's no way that Cleveland's going to get to even four games above 500 at this point. Like that's, that's, if you can just, it, it, you're not even really measuring yourself against Cleveland. Like stay, 
where you are, four, five, six games, play 500 baseball through the next four weeks. Well, right. And you pretty much have it. And, no, most, I mean, and most of that schedule is fairly easy. I'll take that a step further. If the tw- there's 28 games left, if the Twins just go 14 and 14, they will win the division. Right. I yeah, mean, right. they will. Cleveland right. would have to go, uh, what was that? They'd have to go 19 and. I can't even do the math on that. Nine? Something like that. I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. They but are, yeah, your point is that Cleveland probably is not as bad as their they, record would suggest. The one problem with the Texas analogy is that Texas probably wasn't as good as their well, record suggested, too. It's a trickier thing to say the Twins aren't as good as their <laughs> record suggests because their record ain't that good to begin with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, the Twins are... I think there's a fair amount of the fan base that think the Twins thinks the wow. Twins are not as good as their record suggests. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's a fair amount of fan base that thinks everything. So who knows? But I mean, the Twins are actually almost precisely on pace to hit their preseason yeah. over-under and projections. 83 and a half, right? Yeah, 83, 84, yeah. So 85 wins. So if they finish four games above 500, they would just miss the 83 and a half, which they are right now. They're four, is that well, right? right. Four games above but that would mean they're, uh, yeah. <laughs> they're on that, pace to be five or six. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh, so that's where things stand in the in the Central as September begins. Today's September 1st. That I know. I don't know what day of the week it is <laughs> or even what time it is, but I know it's September 1st. Uh, the Twins are up five. Both teams have 28 to play. The Twins, it's not a f- true five-game lead because unless the Twins sweep in Cleveland, which obviously if that happens, it's a moot point anyway because the Twins will win the division if they sweep in Cleveland. But unless that happens, the Twins will not have the tiebreaker over the Guardians. The Guardians will have oh, the tiebreaker. Yeah. And so it's more like a, f- a four-game because there's not a game yeah. 163 right. this year. It right. just goes right to the tiebreaker. So if the thing ends up tied, Cleveland wins the division and the Twins are going to stay home. Uh, so that's a factor. But that's also baked into all these odds that I just right. cited. I looked yeah. at uh, bet yeah, if, if, On the other end, if the Twins sweep Cleveland at home, or on the road, I guess, for the Twins, they're not going to have to worry about well, it. That's, <laughs> that's what I just said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I looked at BetMGM, which uh, the only reason I looked at that is because it's the sponsor of The Athletic and that account <laughs> that you can look at all the odds. Okay. I have I can't – I don't know idea if they're a good site, a bad site, whatever. Um, the Twins are minus 2,000 to win the division. Sounds all right. Yeah, 95%. Yeah. And right, and the Guardians are you know ten to one basically something like that because there's some vig built in there that's not quite true odds and sure. everything. Uh, so if you are a Twins fan who is sitting there saying these guys are nuts, all these projection systems are nuts. <laughs> hey, the should, Twins are worse than you think, and the Guardians are much better than you, you think. You can make a lot of money. Go drive to Iowa <laughs> yeah. and put all your money on there. Right. Put your money where your yeah. uh, pessimism throw, is. Throw a hundred bucks down on there to on your pessimism. Right? <laughs> Win yourself a thousand Ten million to, dollars to help to spoil yourself when the Twins miss the postseason. Do you, how many listeners do you think? we have who have more than 10 million dollars any we got what twelve thousand people yeah on a regular basis? i don't know like what the percentage of it's got to be more than 10 million dollars yes like i bet you there's 60 60 if they're let me say that put this way john that's a half that's a nine that's a half of one percent have 10 million okay well let me put it this way if there are and, si- and we skew high in terms of overall well we don't skew that high though well, no, but I mean, I mean what percentage of people in this world have $10 million or more pretty, uh, net worth? Much no, it's, lower like, than it's like 0.1%. Well, okay, let me put it this way then if you're right. That's John saying that. I don't I don't buy it. But if there right. are 60 of you listening to this who have $10 million, give us some money. <laughs> they already are. If they're on the Patreon, they no, already are. No, but I mean like give me, give me like, you know, 500000 You won't hurt you. Think how good you'll feel. You've changed the lives of two schmoes <laughs> who have been doing a podcast for 60 people. I thought you were going to say two. Yeah, but I mean that—that that to me, I'm just doing the math in my head, and that comes out to about where I think we probably go ahead and email um, 
<laughs> Tweet at me if you have $10 million. <laughs> we'll become friends. I'll take you to lunch. <laughs> or you'll take me to lunch, I suppose. I Where guess, did that question even come from? Why uh, $10 million? Where did, did it I, come from? Why did I just say that? We were in the middle of an entirely different conversation. No, we were talking about something. <laughs> I don't even, I truly don't remember. Oh, to go bet. Oh, to go bet. Because you said put a hundred. I said yeah, put a hundred thousand, and I was like, "Well, who has that much money?" And then right. I was like, oh, "Okay, I guess yeah." If one of the poll ads are listening to this, there we go. We need fifty nine more of those. <laughs> if if half the poll ad family, okay, that could be a dozen people. Yeah. All right. Well, they should give us money too. Uh, am I only half joking? I'll take the money. Here's the other thing: if you're a ten millionaire and you're like, "I hate this show. These guys are annoying," right? I'll take money and quit. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, I got a, sure, everybody. Yeah, as Ted right. DiBiase said, yes. million dollar man. Everybody's got a price. <laughs> I'll I'll quit right now. All I'll right. take two weeks off and quit. As the uh, I'll as just the do, I'll just do the podcast by myself. Sure, for ten million, <laughs> do whatever. Uh, okay, so here's uh, like I said, they were one strike away. Yon uh, Duran uh, throws the ball behind a guy. Almost hit him, which would have kept the runner on third. Right. Almost. Now, I think technically his bat path was a swing, but it I'm not one of those people who are going to say that was a swing. Because it's like it, it, it's like saying uh, taking out a gun and saying dance it as you shoot it, it would have been, foot. It, it would have been a very tough call against Cleveland. It was Can, probably technically the right call because he did start to swing and his bat did go around. Well, but, but, but he was falling down right. to, to avoid a hit pitch is why the bat went around. If I were like in the replay office, I would say if you're like literally forcing someone's body to the ground right. and their arms uh, happen as they're falling to swing a bat like right. in a motion, I would say. Also, oh, uh, Terry Francona is not moving real well at this stage, you know, health wise. <laughs> but can you imagine oh the reaction God. of that dugout oh if they would have they would have called it that way? Um, so yeah, that makes it a, a very tough loss. You know, Duran's been shakier of late. I think in general, their bullpen has been pretty bad now since they didn't make any moves at the trade deadline to right. address the bullpen. Now there were no moves they were going to make at the trade deadline that would have stopped. You know, Duran and Jax right, and from and, taking high leverage and, work. And we've seen some high leverage, some guys who we've kind of counted on in high leverage situations be a little shaky. Thielbar being one of them, he gave up the first run. Right. Well, I didn't, I think it was me, charged to Pagan, but it came on with Thielbar in there after maybe a little overmanaging of the bullpen in that game. So their bullpen since the trade deadline, which means August, because yes. the trade deadline was August 1st, uh, they're 22nd in ERA with an ERA right around five. And they're 18th in win probability added with a negative win yeah. probability. And negative. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, think it follows. It. Yeah. They've had a below a average. Av average is 15th. Right. <laughs> right. And average uh, is zero. And, and I would say that what's happened is they've, as, as they've had fewer and fewer guys, you know, they lose Brock Stewart. Nobody really emerges as a trustworthy, you know, seventh through ninth inning guy. As that's happened more and more, they've devoted more spots in their bullpen to just coverage guys. Like just, oh, he can be a long relief or he can be mop up or he can be, you know, piggyback starter or he can be a bulk guy, whatever you want to call it. And so theoretically, that gives you the coverage of the innings you need, except it doesn't really, as we've talked about for years going back to Molitor, because when it's a close game or when you have a lead, you're still going to use the same three or four guys that you trust every time. Right. And so what's happened, I think, is some of these guys have struggled. You know, uh, Duran, Jax, Theobar, 
Pagan even has had a couple of shaky outings after being very good for like six weeks. Yeah. Uh, not terrible outings by any means, but those four are really have become the only trustable guys right. that they have. Dylan Floro hasn't emerged as that. You know, they sent down Moran. They, you know, Balzavic had a brief stint where he looked okay, but he got sent back down. And so they've had so many close games, like they've had all season, that the four guys that you trust, to some degree, I mean, that's all relative to trust, right. those guys have been overworked. Yes. And then the the other four guys who are just kind of there to soak up innings have been underworked or yeah. just regular worked. And so you look at the bullpen as a whole and you go, well, there's no way they've been overworked. And I agree with that. I mean, you have an eight-man bullpen. You shouldn't have overworked. Well, you also had a, a pitching staff that has among the lead leaders. Except in terms not of anymore. Pitch, but that, that slowed down a yes. little bit for sure. And so you, you throw in all those things and – you know, it's chicken or the egg with Duran and Jax and all that, especially I think with Jax has been worked pretty hard this year yeah. at times. A lot of two out of three, three out of four appearances and all sure. that. Um, you know, Theo Bar's 36 years old. He's been on the IL twice. He's not a guy you necessarily can trust three out of four or whatever. Right. And they've been careful with Duran, except I will note that this kind of, I hesitate to call him struggles, but less sharp Duran really started after they used him like four out of six coming out of the break. Uh, out in on the West Coast, he pitched back to back. He pitched two innings. I was even thinking even before that a little bit that Baltimore series, right. he got used up pretty good. They and struggled. A little they bit. definitely started to kind of push his workload a little bit, and it's impossible to sit here and say which affected which. I mean, it's he could just be having a rough stretch. He could be tired, no matter how they use them. Uh, but that's a worry because I mean, we can and I guess we will sit here and say they. You know, we'll hammer the point home that we said the day of the deadline, which is we're shocked that they didn't at least add some level of competent relief help. Right. And I think that was a mistake then, and I think it certainly looks like an even bigger or a clearer mistake now. But no amount of relief help that you were going to get at the deadline necessarily changes a whole lot if Duran's not going to be good. Well, you know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe this allows you if you'd added one or two pieces that you trusted to rest to Duran to, a little yeah, more. Not yeah, not use Jackson Duran every single time you had a lead and maybe right. that plays out too, but I don't know, that's the choice they made which brings us to the little waiver madness that there was uh the past, I don't know, 72 hours basically where news dropped uh via Jeff Passan and Ken Rosenthal what 3 days ago uh to 48 hours out from <laughs> the August 31st, 31st deadline right. for postseason eligibility, which is why it, it happened that way, where the Angels put six or seven guys on the waiver wire and teams like the Mets and the White Sox, etc., put one or two guys each on the waiver wire. Teams that have had been sort of uh, borderline buyers at the deadline, kind of hanging on to 20% sure. playoff odds, and it has broken bad for them since then. So now they're basically zeroed out. The Yankees right. are in that group too. Basically decided, and this is a first in baseball history. Now it's only been since 2019 that uh, the waivers in August became just straight-up waivers right. instead of revocable, which it used to be. Uh, they decided, well, we're, we're cooked here. Why do we need all these impending free agents? They're going to go. They're not. We don't want to play them. We're going to play some young guys down the stretch because we stink. Right. And let's get some money back. And for the Angels, they Potentially also. Potentially get some money back. Yes. <laughs> right. The Angels, A, wanted to get some money back because they're right. cheap. And B, their their owner is one of those guys who has more than $10 million but doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> Maybe does. <laughs> Hi, Ar- Artie, if you listen to the show, I take it back. You're a great guy. <laughs> Give me money. Um, but they also their consideration for the Angels. I, I'm less people like to rip on the Angels, and they're very rippable on all fronts. Right. Believe me, it's a mess of a franchise. But in their case, 
it wasn't purely about saving the money. It was about saving the money, yes. It was about getting below the luxury tax, not so much because then you can spend future money because I don't think they're going to be above the luxury tax once Shohei leaves and they're terrible. Right. Uh, but by dipping under the luxury tax for even $1, the comp- compensatory pick that they get for Shohei Otani, which he's leaving, it will be at second-round pick equivalent instead of a fourth-round pick. Correct. And I was asking somebody with the Twins, what what value would you place on moving up seven deep spots? Right. And they said, oh, millions. Like it's worth yeah, millions of right. dollars. Sure. Like multi-million dollars. Maybe not $10 million. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're out there, gap between second-round and fourth-round, and you listen to the show, right. uh, call us. Um, call us. Like there's a number. You could, we should have a call-in number. Imagine th- We almost set that up at one point. Where yeah, like we, a Google... Whatever uh, voicemail, like, yeah, where people, yeah, people could leave messages or something, and we'd stitch them in and out. And I thought that's way too much work. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of our ideas come down to how much work is it? Yeah, a lot, right. or even some, right. and then yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, so we, the twins were in an odd position because typically a team in first place is nowhere near uh, in position when a something of value is on the waiver wire because the waiver priority goes in reverse order of standings. So, you know, Oakland goes first and Kansas city goes and then, you know, all the, all the bad teams. But this is one area where being a mediocre team in a horrible division helps you because Mm -hmm. the twins have a worse record than Boston and, you know, uh, the Rangers, things right. like that, right. let alone the Giants uh, right. in the NL and some other teams. Plus, by losing the last two against Cleveland, there's a weird tanking effect that right. goes on where they actually jumped three teams <laughs> yes. in the standings yeah. who were kind of in the same boat. Because it's not, the, it's not your record on the day the person is released. It's right. the day, day your record on the day that it's As awarded, of, which uh, is 48 hours Thursday, later. Yesterday right. morning, yes, basically. Right. Right. And so I joked about this to a, a Twins official. They did not laugh. <laughs> I said Sunday morning or uh, Friday. No, what? Wednesday. Wednesday. Jesus. <laughs> Wednesday afternoon. I was like, uh, you're going to go in there and tell them to tank this one so you guys can move up a couple of spots? And they just looked at me like, you idiot. Uh, but they did that. Not on, not on purpose, but they did it. And so the Twins were ahead of you know most teams. Because the, pro- the weird part we were trying to figure out on – Wednesday show, the Patreon, P-A-T-R-A-O-N, Patreon.com, right. slash Gleeman, was, well, at what point in this waiver priority, you know, like we said, Oakland is not going to claim anybody. They have nothing to play for. Right. Why would they want to add money? Right. And you start to go up the list of really bad teams, and then you start to get into just straight, just normal bad teams. Right. Then you start to get into the kind of mediocre teams, and you, you get to like Cleveland. Cleveland at that point was... Uh, I don't know, five games below 500 or wherever. They had 3% playoff odds. We were sitting there on Wednesday morning saying, well, I don't even know. I mean, Cleveland just sold guys at the deadline. And they don't seem like they're going to want to take on money. So I thought, I don't even know if Cleveland will get involved. They should get involved. It's free players other than monetary. You don't have to give up anything to get them. Uh, My feeling was any team that has any playoff chances, like 0.5%, should just do it. You know, spend $2 million and give yourself a chance. But I was skeptical that owners would actually do that because that's not the MO of guys who have more than $10 million. That's not their (laughs) MO. They don't listen to podcasts and they don't throw around money that easy. Uh, But not that you're not willing to help redeem them in that. Of course. so we were trying to say, you know, maybe the Diamondbacks, Cincinnati, San Francisco, Boston, kind of that group. Miami is the other one in that group yeah. that were right with the Twins or in Miami and, and 
Cincinnati's case in, fr- in front right. of the Twins by virtue of having a worse record, and there were tiebreakers involved and all that stuff. Uh, but it, it ended up all that speculation right. ended up not mattering for the Twins because none of the players they would have wanted got to them. Right. Uh, I did. I can confirm that they placed multiple claims. I uh, heard it was more than three. Right. I, I would say three or four claims. Yeah. Um, they definitely claimed the two relievers that we were sort of right. had at the top of our list, which was Matt Moore, the lefty, and Reynaldo Lopez, the righty. Uh, unclear to me if they put in a claim on Lucas Giolito because that he's good, potentially a good starter, although he struggled of late, but they don't really need a starting pitcher necessarily. Yeah. Um, some of the bats, Hunter Renfro, maybe could have been a fit. But anyway, none of those guys got to them because Cleveland sitting at – Five games below 500 at that point, right. or four games below 500, in part because they won the last two against the Twins right. to take their percentages from like one to five, right. basically. Yeah. Uh, thought, yeah, what the hell? We'll claim all three of these good pitchers. Right. Total I mean, it's, a, cl- it's a total of million, like $20 million of salary between uh, Giolito, Moore, and Lopez for the year. So for one month, that's about, what, three and a third? Three and a third? Like 3.5 million, something yeah. like that, roughly. It's one-sixth. It's exactly yes, one-sixth right. of the that's salary. Right. And, you know, for a Guardians team that has like a $75 million payroll and shed salary at the deadline, I- I'm somewhat surprised by surprised that. they take on that much. I-, I hesitate to phrase it as giving them credit because it's, it's contradictory to what they did at the deadline. Like, right. how can you give them credit? But they were given a chance to just add. This a farewell gift to Francona. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, could be. Um, you know, it was somebody said, "Hey, do you want this stuff?" And they said, right. "Sure." Do you give them credit for that? Yeah. It's like somebody put a, a they did it. a nice couch out I mean, to they, on they, the, they paid the three point five right. million dollars. Like so. It wasn't totally free. Yeah, except they had already cleared that roughly yeah. that amount by trading sure. away Josh Bell and sure. trading away other guys. Right. So. That, I guess, hurts the Twins, although we can talk about that in a second, the extent to which it actually kind of boosts Cleveland. I'm a little skeptical on that front. Those guys weren't going to get to the Twins either way. So I know some people were like, what happens if the Twins would have swept Cleveland? And I think it's plausible that Cleveland then wouldn't have made those claims. I think so, too, actually. But those guys wouldn't have made it to the Twins anyway for two reasons. First, other teams that put in claims in front of the Twins. The Marlins and Reds were still going to. And I think Arizona even maybe would have but also, if the Twins would have swept the Guardians, that would have been two more wins for well, the Twins. True. The You're Twins right, would yeah. have been two or three yeah, steps further back. Point. The Giants would have been ahead right. of them. The yeah. Red Sox would have been ahead of yeah, them. And right. one other team uh, that I'm, I'm blanking on would have been ahead of them. And so, I mean, in, this, in the same way that at the trade deadline, the easiest things to acquire are relievers. Yeah. In a situation like this, there's it's easy to find room for relievers on your roster right, no matter about which fit. team you are. Right. Right. Because you don't have to worry too. You've always got an eighth guy in the bullpen Absolutely. that you can get rid of and get off the like, active roster. Like Giolito, right. who under normal circumstance, every team would go, yeah, he'd be good. Except right. the Twins, like I said, don't really need a fourth or fifth starting pitcher. I'm, it's not right. to say they couldn't have claimed him or something like that. But with like you said, with relievers, there isn't a team that goes, well, we don't need relievers. There's never been a team right. that got to September and thought, we have too many good relievers. Right. I mean, there's just ne- it's just it's never happened. Pitchers might be the same way, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I just, <laughs> you know? What I mean with Giolito is, well, A, he hasn't been that good. But right. B, you know, you've already bumped Bailey over to AAA. Right. You have Dallas Keiko right. in the rotation. Where What would happen if you add him? Right. You're bumping Keiko back to the bullpen. And it, right. it, I don't know that it's worth it for them necessarily, or that's how they would view it. And the same thing with, you know, the other guys we talked about were like Renfro and Grichik, right-handed hitting outfielders. Well, 
not that many teams need right-handed hitting corner outfielders right. because the ones that do need it, other than the Twins, went out and got it. And the, the Twins just, for whatever reason, have deemed that not a thing they need to address. Renfro wasn't going to get to them anyway. I don't right. think Renfro they, didn't get to them. No. Right. Randall Gritchick didn't go just, claim. Yeah. I so had he, trouble believing 29 that. teams passed on Randall Gritchick, including the Twins. So he's just either going to stay with the Angels or just get released. But it's too late uh. for him to now be eligible for the playoffs anyway. So, yes, if the Twins would have swept the Guardians, the Guardians may not have had the, end, ended up with these three players. You gave them a little, you know, uh, they could see some light through the casket. Right. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, yes. Uh, and so that's annoying for the Twins. But the Twins were never going to end up with anybody they wanted in this scenario anyway. Which, which they weren't too far off. You know no. what I mean? <laughs> you know, if uh, another two spots or something. But right. This is kind of what we thought would happen as we tried to break it down best we right. could on Wednesday right. with the imperfect information we had Wednesday morning, which is that it's just it's unlikely because for so many of these teams, and I was skeptical Cleveland was among them, but they ended up taking this exact direction, which is why not? What is the right two two three million dollars? Yeah, I mean it's a lot. Like right. we said, but that's not a lot for a team that has a $140 million payroll or even a $75 million payroll at that point. So, and that's how the Twins viewed it too. I mean, I, I talked to as many people as I could about this in terms of their thinking. Their thinking was, why not? Why wouldn't we? Right. I mean, this is an easy enough little push to make. And so I think they're probably a little disappointed that they didn't end up with anybody. But part of me thinks they should have to play it out the way it, you know, to use another golf analogy, the way it lies. <laughs> because they chose not to add any relief help at the deadline. They should be kind of – part of me thinks they should be forced to play out the hand <laughs> yeah, that right, they've chosen. Right. Well, I mean, this was – even when this happened, our reaction was uh, this shouldn't be allowed to happen. Well, right. this, this, is a, this is a fantasy football thing. So, yes, a, fantasy, a bad fantasy football uh, owner uh, throwing, in, throwing all his uh, players out on the waiver wire to cause chaos. Yeah, I mean, I hate the idea that just – Bad teams can just go, yeah, here, here's a bunch of good players. You guys fight over them. We're, we're done with the league, right. basically. Yeah. I hate that. And there's no, like I said on Friday, uh, Wednesday, no self-respecting fantasy league would allow that to happen or they'd kick that player right. person out of the league. There's also a lot of people who re really reacted strongly to the waiver system, the order, uh, or the processing system because so many people, their notion of waivers comes entirely from fantasy sports because that's what everybody plays. And so in fantasy football, if you have the number one waiver position right. and you claim a guy, you go to the back of the line. But that's not the case in right. sports. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, in actual sports. Right. If you have the number one waiver position, the goal of waivers in baseball is to, throughout the entire season, give the worst teams right. first crack at all available players. And it's not just once because here's the flaw in that. That means if you're Oakland and it's June 1st, and a decent guy gets waived, and you use your number one waiver position to claim a guy in June, by the time August rolls around or July right. rolls around, you're right. 25th then at that point. Right. And then that defeats the entire purpose. Right. But I had a bunch of people going, well, how come fantasy football's got it all figured out in Major League? Well, they're not trying to mimic fantasy football. They're trying to actually consistently distribute talent to the worst teams, <laughs> right. not just once over the course of a season, uh, right. but consistently through the season. And so in this case, that meant that Cleveland – who basically they were at the front of the line in terms of teams that could plausibly be interested in any of these players Correct. had their pick. They could have claimed all of them. They yes. could have claimed 10 different dudes if they wanted to. Now they did three. Here's one thing I'll say, and then we'll get to our first sponsor. But these are good pitchers. But 
Lucas Giolito has really struggled of late. Yes. Now, they just released Noah Syndergaard. They could use a fifth starter, obviously, so that helps. Ronaldo Lopez, I wanted very badly for the Twins at yes. the deadline, and yes. certainly now, because I think he's you know a Griffin Jacks caliber setup guy, basically. Right. Yeah, I agree. And Matt Moore is, I would say, a Theobar also, caliber lefty, yeah, probably. I would say maybe a little maybe better. Maybe a little yeah, better. Right. Those are legit late-inning playoff caliber relievers. That's going to help any team. There's no right. way to spin that otherwise. But I don't know that bullpen or even bullpen depth was that big of an issue for Cleveland. I know their bullpen hasn't been as good. Right. But what I mean is you hand them Ronaldo Lopez, it's still going to be Trevor Steffen in the eighth inning. It's still going to be the same three or four maybe. guys they've used. Maybe, maybe he replaces like a Karinchak in the sixth say, or though, seventh. Yeah. Right. I mean, deep. And look, there's no way it doesn't make their bullpen better. Right. But they already had like three or four pretty good relievers there. Class A is obviously still going to be the closer, although he struggled at times this year, too. I mean, what's your. What's your I think it's which limiting hope, the. But what you're the hoping impact. for, at, even at the trade deadline, even if a month ago at the trade deadline, no matter whether you're trading for a pitcher or a reliever or a, a hitter, whatever, right? You're hoping they have an outsized impact in real games that they wouldn't have sort of statistically speaking, sure. right? That they come up in some clutch situations and they are the difference well, between a win or a loss. Honestly, any time in any circumstance, if you trade for a reliever at the deadline, right. you're saying this is a coin flip. We're right. getting a dozen innings of them or 15 right. innings of them. Are they great? Right. Great trade. If they have two bad outings, horrible trade, mm-hmm. uh, basically. And so, yeah, that's, that's, exactly right. that's definitely in play. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is if the Twins at the trade deadline had gone out and gotten a decent left-handed hitting right fielder, we would have said, well, okay, that's a talent addition, right. but it doesn't really help, help them because they already much. had a billion of those right. guys. That's yeah. kind of what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, of the things that Cleveland needs to acquire, right. the two at the bottom of the list would be... Set-up caliber a, relievers. A, 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 would like, be a starting pitcher and a, re, a yeah, really good reliever. Maybe starting yeah. pitcher, but I, I was, I guess, a little surprised that they didn't try to get Renfro or Grichik or something like that because one of their biggest problems has just been kind of competency in the DH first base corner outfield right. spot post Josh Naylor's injury. Um, so I'm surprised by that. They've basically leaned even further into their stylistic approach, which is, you know, put the ball in play and single a team to death, try to score three or four runs right. and let the pitching staff hold the other team to two or three runs. And they've leaned even further into that. So, yeah, I give them credit for so that. So what you're saying is there's probably a Gleeman in the Geek uh, Cleveland edition yes. somewhere where they're angry right now that they didn't go pick up Grichuk. Maybe. Or, or Renfro. Not angry, but it's like, <laughs> like what are we doing? Why yeah. are we? <laughs> right. Maybe. Uh, let me just. I want to make sure we we put a bow on this topic that I hit everything. Um, let's see. Yeah, I would say that's probably about it. So, you know, just also keep in mind that we've talked about this throughout the season. That I know Twins fans they have like PTSD just in general, <laughs> but certainly from last right. season, yeah. and so they view. I compared it to like uh, Michael Myers or whatever in a horror film, but like th- there's always this sense that if you look back, Cleveland will be gaining on you. <laughs> like there's just this big bad that is just always lurking right. behind you, and that's true in some regard. But also, how did they end up adding these three pitchers? Well, because they had a 64 and 70 record. Yes. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. They were the worst of teams that still care, yep. uh, and that's sort of the one of the themes of the last month or so, I would say, in terms of what I've been saying on the podcast, which is this is not a great Twins team by any means. But whatever you think of the Twins, the Guardians have been worse. <laughs> and so I don't know why everyone is so – not everyone, but I don't know why there are so many people who are just assuming that they're, they're this giant that's yet to be awoken. And maybe adding these three guys will 
you know, give them a push here. And obviously, like I said, these next six games, three in Texas, three in Cleveland. I, I'm of the opinion this is going to tell you the whole thing. Huh? We'll see. Um, I mean, and, and we should just mention Cleveland's record, Cleveland's schedule after this, right? They play they Tampa play, now, they, right? They're playing the Angels right now. I think they played the Angels yesterday? No, yeah. they were off yesterday. So were the Twins. Oh, okay. They, then they got, yes, Tampa now, then Minnesota at home, then the Angels on the road, San Francisco, Texas, Kansas City, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Detroit. Right. That's not the world's dip, most difficult schedule, but it's a hell of a lot tougher yes. than the Twins right, schedule. Right, that's right. Uh, so that's where we're at with the division. Before we get into, there's actually quite a bit of uh, injury news and rotation juggling, I would say, that we're going to get into. But first, Soda Stick, uh, you know, here's, if, you are, if you still believe that the Twins are going to be heading to the postseason after the world's uh, the worst If you losses. still believe that the team with a 94% <laughs> odds can actually do it. You might want to start thinking ahead about what you're going to wear at those uh, games that are in the, <laughs> that, those postseason yeah. games. They're going to have at least two of them. If they win one, they have at least three of them. Maybe even they win a series. Now, you're, now we're going. If they win one, they, they have at least still three only have two. No, they still have two in the next round then. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Right. Yeah. There's, if they win one, they have at least two. Okay. At least three of them. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. You'll be wanting to wear these every single day of the rest of your life, basically, yeah, if they continue in the playoffs. And they're bringing back some classics. Uh, we've got the um, Wiener Winner. One coming back. They still got those Tony Oliva hitting school ones, which are you know very a classic look. We got Vikings around the corner. Uh, check out the uh, Kirko Chains Viking shirts in that they've got out there. Um, I mean, what we suggest all the time is you just go to SodaStick.co. Yeah. Guarantee. Right. And you're going to stick code.com or just yeah. Google soda, soda stick, stick. Right. soda like Minnesota right. soda stick. And uh, I guarantee there will be something you see that you would like. Yes. Because uh, that's what we do. Well, and I, also, I go there I mean, sometimes. Also, you know, you're going to see some stuff and you're like, ah, oh, they don't have enough of that one or they don't have that one in my size right. or something because it's kind of small batch, yeah. good stuff. You know, so you want to, I would also suggest maybe sign up for some of their social media so you know when new stuff is coming out or when they're reordering so, stuff. Soda stick, soda stick co.com. And if you, Use the promo code Gleeman at checkout. You'll get 15% off whatever you order. That's right. Uh, if you are right now listening to us uh, on headphones, uh, I would suggest maybe you try out some wireless earbuds. And we've got some very good wireless earbuds. It's just that much more freeing. If you haven't had, if you haven't screwed around with wireless earbuds right now or yet, you're still using the uh, – I, I got called a boomer the other day because when, on my TikTok, sometimes when you're – What court- a sentence. First of all, before you even finish the sentence, what a sentence! Like, go on, go. Okay, boomer. When I do, when I do my uh, my TikToks, uh, iPhone sometimes has trouble recording using wireless earbuds. It won't it won't take in sound, so I have to use my headphones, my wired headphones. And so you, on the TikTok, you've got a picture of me wearing wired headphones, and I got called a boomer for wearing wired. Can headphones Can you imagine the golf someone calling a fifty six year old man a boomer? That's bo- crazy. Yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. But- <laughs> But if, if you, you knew the wars, if you yeah. were around for the Jet X Boomer Wars, right. you would never do that to me. <laughs> but if you would like to not be called a boomer on your TikTok, <laughs> what a Scott. I can't believe I'm saying this. At least it's not about me. It's about you. Uh, get some Raycon wireless earbuds. Yes. Uh, I've used them. John takes them running. Yes. I don't run, so I just sit on the couch <laughs> with them and listen to stuff. Uh, That's right. They're, they're great. They, they're vi- they very easily sync to Bluetooth, right. so you never have to mess around with what's wrong with it. They have long battery life, which right. it, when you're me and you just wear them throughout the day, very right. good. Yep. If you're on a three-hour meeting, yep. Zoom, it's great. Um, 
And you like them because when you go running, the actual fit in your ear becomes yep. much more important. Yep. And they have a, a nice fit. And they're just, it's, you know, lots of little, you can just tap them and does various things. Like the, the engineering around the around yes. them is just well really built. well done. And, I mean, here's the best part about it all is that, you know, a lot of these brand, other brand names, you have to pay an absolute yes. mint for. It's a nice price point. You will find this is the... Uh, this is the thinking man's earbud yes. in terms of like, who, you know, I want to get a really good, solid, well-engineered earbud that isn't going to cost me. And bank. school's back in session, which means Raycon, which is R-A-Y-C-O-N, Raycon, is having their annual back-to-school oh, cool. sale for a limited time. Go to buy Raycon. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N. Buyraycon.com slash Gleeman. You will get 20% off site. Plus, they'll give you free shipping. Nice. That's buyraycon.com slash Gleeman to get 20% off. Buyraycon.com slash Gleeman. All right. Uh, Waiver Madness. It was fun while it lasted. We'll forget <laughs> these three days that this seemed like a big yeah. deal. Um, yeah. I'm, I am curious to see if this becomes a thing because this has the waiver process has been like this since 2019 mm-hmm. when they put an end to the sort of the secondary trade where you have to pass a guy through waivers right. and they put an end to that. So at any point in the last three or four years, teams could have done this. I tried I mean, to they ask. They really could have kind of done it before that, right? Like you could have put five of their better guys that were going to be free agents on the Well, right. But where. That, I mean, that has happened. Right. The, there's some yep. famous yep. Yeah, but, Jose yeah, but the, Canseco yep. was a right. version of that. Where and then if somebody say, actually claimed them, you just let them have right. them. <laughs> but the <laughs> right. idea that right. it's just a free-for-all of free stuff that's been right. put out on the curb right. is brand new. And I'm, you know, there's no reason that if it happened this year, it wouldn't also happen next year unless MLB put some. Uh, safeguards in place to ensure that, which right. I think maybe they should think about. I don't think it's a great thing that just... Well, it also seems like the kind of thing that collective bargaining, would you buy get right. some buy-in from both sides on? This is definitely something that has to be changed, I'm guessing, through the collective bargaining agreement because it's certainly it's core to that. I think one thing but I would think could, some of the players they, aren't too crazy about right. this either. They could very easily do is like anyone with a major league contract above the minimum would have to approve the move as if they have like a no trade clause after something the trade like deadline that. or something like that. Because, yeah, I mean, if, if you make it through the trade deadline as a player, you shouldn't have to worry. And there's no trades after that. You shouldn't have to worry. You can always worry that you're getting released. Right. But if you get released, then you can choose to either not play or right. choose your next team. Right. If you make it through the trade deadline, you, you should be able to feel pretty confident that you're not going to get traded to a new employer, basically. Right. I mean, just think if they were normal people with normal jobs. That's not a great scenario. Okay, you, you now go to Cleveland. You right. were just in, in Anaheim. Now you go to Cleveland. So right. uh, no offense against Cleveland, of course. But um, a couple of things from the Cleveland series, which we talked a little bit about it Wednesday before the, the truly bad one. Uh, <laughs> we could talk more about the, the Wednesday game, but, you know, flush it. As some players <laughs> yes. like to say, we're going to try to flush that one. Yeah. As Sonny Gray said, we're going to have to forget about that one quickly. <laughs> like, okay. okay. All right. Did you? People might have noticed. I'll say this as a little funny anecdote. So the mood after Wednesday's loss was, as you might expect, uh, sullen. Right. It was like a morgue or a funeral right. uh, in there. And Simmering? How about that? No, I mean, it was just completely quiet. Okay. I didn't hear small talk. I didn't hear anything. Heads down, you know, all this stuff always a fun environment to enter when no one wants <laughs> right. me there anyway right. uh but we go and we interview sunny gray who you know he knows that's part of his professional sure. responsibilities to talk about his start and he basically said that was a brutal loss but we gotta you know right. move forward it doesn't do any good to 
to sit there and stew on it or whatever because we're about to face Texas and Cleveland. And if we sit here and feel sorry for ourselves, that's not going to do us any good. He also talked about, well, I, I do feel good about my own performance. Sure, yeah. I'm enthused by my last several starts, and that's absolutely true. He's not, I think he's the yeah. AL ERA leader right now, yeah. uh, 2.9, whatever. But then the other thing – And so, he's been going deeper. Yeah. Uh, the other thing you may – people watching or at Target Field may have noticed – was in the seventh inning, which was his last inning, he started like stomping around yeah, what on was the mound. Yeah, with his shoe? Right. So I'm going to tell you, it's funny. They also had a, a second mound or a third mound to visit because well, the so, first mound must have, must have been equipment related. Right? So he's stomping around on the mound with his his like his right foot. And Baldelli and the trainer, Nick Paparesta, go running out there because they think, as I thought, uh-oh, does he have a busted foot? Did he sprain his ankle? What yeah, happened? Yeah. So they get out there, and they both just sort of stand there, and then Sonny Gray sits down on the mound and takes his shoe, shoe off and, like, shakes it and then puts it back on and relaces it he and stands up. He had a rock in his shoe. He had a pebble in his shoe, basically. <laughs> but then, so I'm going to read you this. It was a very fun. I think the video was, funny. was available on, but we didn't know this till post game, Right. So we're asking him these very sullen, you know, um, you know, that was a tough loss, blah, blah, blah. Right, he's right, he's right. like five or six minutes, and he's answered all the questions. And then somebody went, "And what was the deal with your foot? <laughs> and he goes, uh, well, I had a rock in my shoe. <laughs> and everyone was like, wait, what? And he, So here's, here's how this went. I'm going to read you the quote. I'm not going to do it justice because I've never seen anybody have better comedic timing than Sonny Gray on this, <laughs> okay. particularly given the circumstance that he had just very uh, morosely talked for six or seven minutes about a horrible loss. Right, yes. And then he like a switch flipped yeah. and he turned into like, I don't know, great comedian. And he <laughs> okay. was like, so he here's what he said. He goes, uh, you ever have a shoe in your, a rock in your shoe? Basically. Well, he didn't put on that, but it, I'm not going to do a, a Tennessee accent or whatever. I won't. I won't insult him that way. But imagine this: uh, you guys have seen Sonny Gray. He's a very serious man with serious thoughts, except for this. He said, "I had a rock in my shoe and I couldn't get it out." And I'm weird, so I just couldn't get it out of my head. Couldn't get it off my foot. And then he goes, uh, and he said, "So Nick comes out there, Nick Paparazzi, the trainer, and he said, uh, what's wrong?'" And I said, "Well, I have a rock in my shoe." And then Sonny Gray says, "This is a quote. I just thought that'd be it." But Nick said, we'll, t we'll take it out. <laughs> and I said, this is great talking. I said, oh, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> then I was like, oh, hell yeah, I get to take this rock out of my shoe. <laughs> and then you know what? I took it out and I felt better. <laughs> Can you imagine a, him saying that? It was the, one of the funniest things we're, I've we're, ever we're seen. We're out of the great act. We're like, what is going on? Yeah. Why is there an umpire there and a trainer? And this? He's got to be hurt. And then, then we see, I think he's tying his shoe. Yeah. But I love the idea that the trainer, who's in charge of this billion-dollar company's health, yes, goes out there and has the best pitcher on your team. Right. And probably the, one of the smartest guys on the team. Sure, just the right. most veteran. Right. Like, Say to him, oh, I have a rock in my shoe. And the trainer looked at him, and this is brilliant for Nick Paparesta. <laughs> Why don't you take it out of your shoe? And Sonny Gray went. That's never occurred to me. That's <laughs> yes. I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to sit That's down. Awesome. Which uh, sometimes it can be that easy. Sure, right? Yeah. But yeah, Sunny Gray was very funny. I think there's That's some video of that on BSN or whatever because you'll hear after he says that. First, we're like you'll hear a little murmur of laughter as we basically go. Was he trying to be funny when he says this? And we realized, <laughs> yes, he was trying to be funny. But he was telling the truth. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, Sunny Gray. And then I, I, of course, uh, turned it into a forced. 
metaphor for Cleveland being a rock in the twin shoe. Of course. And if only they were that easy. That's what I wrote about. Okay. So uh, that's what happened in in that start. I I do think the two things – we saw it more in the Texas series, but the – part of it. But the two things they didn't address at the deadline were bullpen help, which as we've talked about has become a real issue over since the deadline. Right. Last three or four weeks. It was an issue during the Cleveland series. It's been an issue just overall in the second half. And then the other thing they didn't address that we thought they should have addressed was right-handed hitting. Right. And the only thing they did was a couple days after the deadline, they claimed Jordan Luplo off waivers. And, you know, he's been fine or whatever. I would say both of those things have been even more exposed yeah. since the deadline sure. in that we've I mean, seen they certainly them. certainly got exposed in, in Detroit with their right-handed hitting. Right. Yeah. And Texas, yes, all right. the lefty yeah, relievers right. yeah, also. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they won some of those games. But And we even saw Cleveland yeah, brought in Henches yep. and let him throw two yes. innings. Like teams right. are starting to. Yeah. In a game that was they were kind of getting roughed up all right. around, Henches came in and just shut it down. Teams are starting to game. kind of allow the Twins' lack of consistent right-handed hitting to affect their bullpen choices and even right. starting choices. Yes. And, that, and then that magnifies the problem for the Twins uh, and all that. And so I think – and then, of course, the bullpen issues, the domino effect of that is you end up calling someone like Cody Funderburk up, who I think is deserving of an opportunity sure. and pitched brilliantly in his first game. But but also has a 92-mile-an-hour fastball. Right, and, and he's <laughs> right, in his yes. second game, and he's coming in in the biggest spot of the entire season to right. that point. Yes. To face Cole Calhoun, and he falls behind 3-0. Yes. Because why wouldn't a rookie fall behind 3-0, 3-0 in, in their the second spot. game yeah, in exactly. the biggest spot they've ever faced in their entire life? And then he grooves a fastball because he doesn't want to walk the guy. Yeah. And Cole Calhoun did what a good major league hitter should do, even lefty on lefty, right. and hit the F out of it for you know 440 feet or whatever it was. And yeah. it's a bad spot. And so... You know, if they had added Matt Moore at the trade deadline, that would have been Matt Moore pitching <laughs> sure. there. And if they had right. added right-handed bats, you know, you can you can do all that stuff. And so, you know, Baldelli, I thought afterward, I found I said this at the time to uh, Doe, who was sitting next to me. I said, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I wouldn't have taken. Yeah, I don't I think I either. would take Pagano. I have said the same thing. And Baldelli, I don't know about this move. Right. I mean, they want the right. lefty on lefty matchup, except Calhoun had already. Uh, beaten lefty right. on lefty against Theobar earlier in the game, or right. the game before, I guess maybe, or it was, no, it was earlier in that game. Anyway, and I think he had three righties following him too. Like right. if he if he just well, that walks, was the, that was the problem. Right. Is if you walk him, right? Funderburk's got to face two more hitters, right? Neither of which will have the platoon and, advantage. And now you've got the bases loaded right. too for right. a guy who just walked the right. guy potentially. So yeah, it was a it's a very difficult spot to put a guy in his second career game and. Let's be fair to Cody Funderburk. I think he has a future potentially in the majors. I think he's deserving of a chance. But it took the Twins until you know August 29th of a season where they needed left-handed pitching help right. to say, "Yeah, oh, let's give him a chance." This is not a guy and, they've and been they counting. Gassed bullpen from that Sunday, right. that Sunday now, extra inning win. Right like, afterward, Baldelli said part of the reason he took Pagan out with a quicker hook than usual and didn't let him face Calhoun was that he had pitched. That was his fourth time pitching in five days. <laughs> Uh, which goes back to kind of what we were talking right. about, which is the three or four relievers that they do trust just get worked to hell. Right. Um, he also clearly wanted the lefty on lefty matchup. Right. I thought he like, I don't know the the logic or process is not one that I really agree with in this spot given right. the actual particulars. But I mean, I think it's not a crazy series of decision points that were made at that. Right. I just. Don't think it really would have been. I, you know, it's one of those 60-40 decisions, basically, and it right. went as bad as bad it could have gone. gone. Yep. But he said afterward, also, I really hope Cody 
doesn't take this that bad. He said, I know he will because yeah, that's right, how you're right. going to take it. And he did take it pretty bad afterward. I mean, he, I give him credit. He stood up his locker. He answered questions and all that stuff. But although he said, we might put him in that same spot again, we probably will put him in that same spot again. Right, and yeah. I agree with that because they're not, they don't have that many choices right, really. Yeah. And so whoever gets called up, whether it was Balazovic a month ago, whoever gets called up, somebody's got to be put into this sort of fifth and sixth reliever. I don't mean inning, but I mean like the yeah, hierarchy. Yes. Because as we talk about, you can have three or four guys you trust, except if you work them on back-to-back days or two times in three days, and then you have another close game, they're not going to be available. And we've right. seen that constantly with the Twins over the last several weeks is they only have two of these guys available. Right. Well, then that means the fifth and sixth guy have to step up. And it was Floro briefly, but right. he struggled. Yep. It was Ortega, and he struggled and then got hurt. It was Balazovic, who had a decent little run, and then he kind of came back down to earth a little bit. Moran. Moran, same thing. And now it's Funderburk. Right. And they just haven't been able to find like a fifth guy since Brock Stewart went down. Right. So what I think they're banking on at this stage in part because what other choice do they have, is <laughs> right. they're hoping that their internal options, either coming back from the injured list, which I can get into here, including Brock Stewart potentially, right. although that's been now three months basically, right. or converting starters right. to the bullpen yes. late in the season or perhaps purely in October in the case of like Kenta Maeda, that one or two of those guys from a group of like four or five. So can end up being, you know, mid leverage right. guys, right? Not that they're going to replace Jacks, but that they can actually right. fill that fifth spot right. in a, in a four man uh, group that right. you're going to need, especially in the playoffs where there's not going to be days off. You're going to play three games. Most likely if you're advancing, right? Uh, I don't want to get into that same, uh, <laughs> you're right about that. You got me on that. One, but so here's, I don't know. Paddock, who was at Target Field for the first time since opening day, and we talked to him quite a bit. He was uh, in great spirits. It was very interesting to see how excited Baldelli coaches and players were to see him. Chris Paddock back here. Like every single guy, we were interviewing him in the hallway, basically. And every guy who (laughs) spotted him interrupted the interview, which is fine, and was like, so excited to see this dude and talking to him. I've talked to him a few times before, but he was very uh, forthright talking about the the process and second right. Tommy John and kind of he wants to prove himself again. And what he basically said was, look, I've been a starter my whole career. I think I'll probably be a starter next season for the Twins. He's got a contract with the Twins. I'm not sitting here saying I want to start now because the guys who are in this rotation, right. they deserve to stick in this rotation. Shit. And also – I don't know that I'm a point where I can build up to five innings before the end of the season. Right. He told them, this is what he told us, that he told them, if you need me for one out in September as a reliever, I'm here for it. If you need me to throw three innings in a blowout, right. I'm here for it. If you want me to try to become your sixth or seventh inning guy as a one-inning reliever, I'm here for it. Right. And so I think they are hoping within about a week from now, he'll be able to go out on an actual rehab assignment. You make two or three appearances there, you know. Then you don't really need to be building up your pitch count anymore. It's more just about kind of how his arm bounces back the next day a couple of times. Maybe you want him to go back to back once, although eh, I don't know about that. Uh, But from a stuff standpoint, he said he's throwing as hard as ever. He feels good. Uh, I know that the Twins officials have been uh, encouraged by like his side sessions and bullpen sessions and all that. So, yeah, I mean. That is an option. Absolutely. Could be a a fourth or fifth reliever. Uh, Alcala. Jorge Alcala, same thing, has been throwing live BP. He threw to uh, Kirloff and Buxton and Nick Gordon the yeah. other day. Um, he 
is about to go out on a rehab assignment also. He's basically been out for two years now. Right. Uh, could he be that fifth guy? Sure, although he's such a huge question mark right. uh, at this point. I mentioned Brock Stewart, who's been out since June. Well, Brock Stewart at even 90% of what he was in the first half is one of their awesome. best relievers. Right. But also, they've been pushing back his timetable this whole time. Right. He keeps saying, you know, September 10th or whatever, yeah. but it, we're coming up on this September is the thir- This is the third comeback he's tried to make from right. this injury that he suffered at the beginning of June. Yes. Right. So, and you know, what he says is, well, this one, this comeback feels a little bit better than the first right. two comebacks, but we'll see. But also, it has to. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's yeah, like, yeah, right. uh, Maeda, who maybe has been showing some signs of wearing down a little bit as a starter, or he's yeah. just had a couple of not great starts. I, I do want to touch at some point about the starting pitching in this Cleveland series, because okay. that's one of the things that we talked a little bit about going into it. Like, okay, we get a chance to see so the, the three arms we think we're going to be th- right. seeing in the postseason. Two of them did not do very yeah, well. Sonny Gray was phenomenal. Right. And then Lopez and, and Maeda were not. Yeah. So we're going to see Lopez, Gray, and then Joe Ryan right. will be the three in Cleveland. Right. Uh, so Kent Maeda has a history of being a, a – dominant playoff reliever for right, the Dodgers. Right. What the Dodgers would do at the end of seasons, they did it like three different times. And te- these are teams that made deep playoff runs, I think. Right. It got to the World Series at least once, twice, I think, with Maeda in this role is, you know, they had uh, Kershaw and Walker Bueller and whoever else in the rotation. Maeda was like their fourth or fifth starter, and they thought, well, you can either not really use him in the playoffs or we can just make him a setup man. And he was phenomenal as a setup man, like just brilliant as a setup man. But... Right, he hated it because he wanted to be a starter. He wanted to be a starter, and also he, he was. Uh, I mean, it, during the regular season, it was a matter of he was like making less right. money as a reliever because they right. would. The last, he, he, he had huge incentives tied to how many starts exactly. he makes, how many innings he still gets. does. Right. Yes, that was right. his contract, right. um, and that's part of why he got traded to the Twins, who promised him a spot in the rotation and all right. that. Now, I'm not saying he's going to reject the idea. I'm just saying that's part of the equation. Yeah. There him. is a history, there. but also, <laughs> you know. Ken Tomato was a dominant playoff reliever for the Dodgers. That was right. five years ago. Yes. I mean, right. Ken Tomato was Cy Young runner-up in 2020, but that was three years and an arm surgery ago. Right. You know, like, I don't know that you can bank on that, but I do think having Ken Tomato come in for an inning and just sling off speed against righties. Or two innings or right. three innings, right. Well, yeah. yeah. And so that's part of the bullpen equation. And then the last one, which we saw the first steps towards this last night with uh, the Saints, is Louis Varlin, right. who – is not needed as a starter right now because they have Keiko as the fifth spot and they've demoted Bailey Ober. Could potentially be needed as a starter if some injuries hit in September. But they're starting to kind of ramp him down from a stretched out standpoint to prepare him for some kind of bullpen role in September. So yes, last night he threw 54 pitches instead of 84 okay. pitches for the Saints. Uh, looked good. I watched some of it or streamed some of it. He hit 100 miles an hour I was say, multiple how was the times. Velocity? Fantastic velocity. That is really encouraging. He threw four innings because he was very efficient. Right. So it was okay. halfway yeah, yeah, yeah. to the start. Okay, all right. But well, that's threw, great. The target was 50 pitches. So he just happened to get through four innings on 50 pitches. The first two innings, right. which was more of a true relief outing, right. Yeah, right. Uh, he averaged 98 with his fastball and hit 100 multiple times. Then the third and the fourth inning, which that becomes more of a starter workload, he was like 96, 97, okay. topped out at 98. But yes, very clearly, which he has said in the past and they believe, right. he's a he can prime ramp candidate right. for max effort, can add two or three miles an hour, and he's topping out at 100. I mean, that's that's something. Um, so I think you're going to see him. I don't know. I mean, today is September 1st. They're going to add two guys to the roster. I think it's probably going to be someone like Brent Hedrick just as a placeholder. 
because Willie Castro is on the verge of returning, except right. I think he might have just had a baby, or his wife just had a baby yesterday. To, right? yeah. yeah. So he might have another day where he's not ready to join the team, but he's going to join the team. So I think you're going to see the initial two September yeah. 1st call-ups. And they do have to add two people. Yes. They can't I actually, wait on that, right? I informed Paul Deli of this. <laughs> I said, he goes, we might just do 27 and wait for Willie. And I said, no, you won't. And he goes, what do you mean? And I go, I think the CBA says you have to have 28. Now, they could just make it Castro uh, yeah. and just allow him to be well, away from the team too. for a day, which is another choice. But I think it's going to be Hedrick as sort of a placeholder eventually for Varland. But I'm going to guess they want him to make one more relief outing where it's maybe two innings and 35 pitches okay. uh, and then call him up. But they're definitely eyeing Varland as a potential reliever. Now, whether that's as a long man, low leverage, setup, whoever – I don't know, but just from a stuff standpoint, if he's throwing 98 to 100, that that plays. And so they're clearly banking now because they have no other choice. But I suspect this kind of played into the lack of moves at the trade deadline, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, that out of those five guys that I just mentioned, Alcala, Stewart, Paddock, Maeda, Varlin, can one or two of those five kind of make it out of the fire and get to the end and the finish line of the season as someone we can use for the sixth inning in the playoffs? And if that's the case, they're not in horrible shape. I still don't think they have like a great bullpen or by any means. But right. and so that's I don't know. That's the bet they're making at this point. But like I said, they don't have any choice. Right. Matt Moore and Reynaldo Lopez weren't available to him. The deadline was a month ago, and all they did was add Dylan Flora, who they rightfully don't seem to trust at this point. So that's There's one other at. name I want to run past you. Okay. But I'm going to do it after our sponsor, which uh, next sponsor is BetterHelp. Uh, BetterHelp is a, a, a way to tackle therapy without having to tackle all the crap that gets in the way of therapy, right? It's it's hard enough just to decide, hey, I'm going to talk to somebody or me and my uh, my significant other are going to talk to somebody or whatever. I you know, I I just have some stuff we need to work through. I need to work through, etc. Once you make that commitment, well, now you've got a problem because you don't know who you're talking to and you don't know how, even how to get good names yes. for who to talk or to. You or you can be put on a wait list for right. months at a time. Yeah, or the one that you, the name you get is full. Or right. they, uh, they, uh, they, there are times that they can meet with you. You Better can't meet with them. can match you up with a licensed therapist, usually within 72 hours. Right. And they can do it in a way that is whatever your comfort level is. If you want to do a video call, you can do a video call. If you don't feel comfortable being on video, you do a phone call. If right. you're like me and you hate phone calls, you can just do a live chat. Right. They can figure out whatever. You don't have to and, drive across town. Right. They, <laughs> right. they yes, tailor right. it to your needs for whatever you need, big or small, what, whatever you think you want to get help with. And uh, you can let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gleeman today and you will get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com Slash gleam. As the games are coming up here in Target Field and the next ones, if you have one of the people who has not used Game Time yet, yeah, you get uh, you get twenty bucks coming your way. You want to try out the Game Time yeah. app? Really, this is not like a website that you go and broker tickets. This is an app. You just download the Game Time app, and what you do, what they specialize in, is last minute tickets or uh, hard to get tickets. Right, so. What Sporting we, events, concerts, shows, right. but yes, yes and, it's, and, and it's all online. Like it's it's not something you have to worry about being delivered or whatever, right? It, it just shows up, right? Yes. John I, famously can be spotted walking the streets of North Loop <laughs> towards Target yes. Field with his That's head right. in his phone because yes. he is buying tickets on the Game Time app, and he's sort of trying to time it for 
to hit okay as he gets to gate uh, 34 or whatever it is. That's as right. he can just stroll in, exactly show right. the, the ticket on the phone. Right. And that's the beauty of the Game Time app. And just take advantage of the technology. And like you said, if you download the Game Time app, uh, you can snag tickets without distress. Create an account. Use the code Gleeman. You will get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. But again, create an account on the Game Time app. Redeem the code Gleeman for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Uh, all right. So we talked bullpen. Let's see. We talked. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about rotation. I oh, mentioned. the last question. Okay. The last name I wanted to run past you. Ron Davis. No. <laughs> no. God. No. Stay away. Uh, do we know exactly what? Are they just shutting down Bailey Ober completely, or is, could Bailey Ober be somebody that they try to limit things in sort of a relief? role in St. Paul. For My understanding is, well, okay, so f- the first part of that question is, I think he's going to take like a week off, basically, okay. like skip a turn or maybe two turns. And that, and that demotion happened since the last Friday show, yes, right? Okay, that's yes, why I'm, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, I was going to bring it up just now, okay, so that's, that works. Uh, you know, he, we've kind of seen this coming for a while now. He's gotten less effective over the last yeah. month. We started speculating about it a month, a month ago. The yeah. innings count, you know, his previous career high was like 108, and he's right. already at, what, 130, 140? Yeah. So to get through a season, he was going to go 60 or 70 innings above his count. The Twins had talked, coming out of the break, basically, about quote-unquote subtle ways to limit his workload, which is give him a day off an extra day between starts when possible, you know, kind of push him to the back of the rotation when there were a couple days off. And they've done that, but he's continued to not be as sharp. I, I, I mean, it's worth noting. I mean, he struggled, but it hasn't been like a Joe Ryan right. situation where he's just getting bombed out there. Right. He's, yes. It's just been like, you know, four innings, three runs, four innings, four runs that he's just not quite as crisp. And I think that probably would suggest the durability and, and workload is catching up to him as opposed to right. an injury or the league's caught up to him or anything like that. And so, right. He's been more mediocre than great. Right. Yes. <laughs> but he's been fair. so good, not he only this great. season, but in past seasons. Yeah, he's got a three six seven ERA right. still. Doesn't in he? He 22 starts or something like that. Right. 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 Which you don't see a 27-year-old with a three right. six seven ERA demoted to AAA very often. No. So from Bailey Ober's point uh, of view, he's he's being done a little he's bit get, dirty he's, here. Yeah, he's getting he, the shaft. I mean, they did that to him coming out of spring training, right. too. So yeah. he's now been at AAA twice when he's clearly a major league starting pitcher. Right. From their point of view, they felt like he he was struggling more and more. The workload was piling up, and they had a guy in Dallas Keuchel who came in in relief of Ober's last start where Ober, I think, gave up four runs in four innings, and then Keuchel came in for the fifth and pitched five scoreless. And the start before that, Keuchel took a perfect game into the seventh. And so at some point, they just thought, well, we have a veteran guy here that we can use as a placeholder. We don't feel that putting Ober out there every fifth day is helping on the field, and it's not helping from a workload standpoint. So they demote him to AAA now from his standpoint. I'm sure he's not happy about that. But I think the plan sounds like it's going to be for him to take a week or more off, basically skip one or two turns in the rotation, and then kind of rejoin the AAA rotation and stay ready, basically. Um, your second question of could he be a bullpen guy? It's not like he's not a good enough pitcher to to pitch a key role, however the role is. But I think from a health durability and just how long it takes him to get ready for starts, futzing around. I think he might be the least likely convert to the bullpen on the whole team Hmm. Uh, for the same reason that they're trying to limit his innings and you know they view him as more of a. uh, 
you know, handle with care type yeah. of type of pitcher on yeah. a bunch of ways. So now if guys get hurt, that those plans change. Right. But yes. I think that it's going to be difficult for him just from a timing standpoint to reemerge as a viable playoff option as a starter. And I don't think it's likely he'd be a reliever. I mean, maybe a long reliever or something. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think they view him as a Maeda or a Varlin where you can just go, oh, what if we just told him to throw max effort for an inning? Right. I, don't, I don't think that's likely. Uh, so all of a sudden now Joe Ryan <laughs> yeah, is right. very important. Not yeah. that he wasn't before, right. but he's one start removed from coming off the IL. His previous six or seven it starts. It was a good start. Yes, it was a good start. Uh, his previous six or seven starts were horrid, and he revealed finally uh, to the team he had been hiding from the team a groin injury. Right. And uh, you know all his – he'd given up a billion home runs during that six or seven starts. I mean, it was pretty clear he just wasn't right. He's one start back. He's about to start again now. Uh, he'll face uh, – who will he face? He'll face Texas and Cleveland. Yes. So he'll play yes. twice in these yeah, next six. Uh, so we're going to learn a lot about Joe Ryan and his health and, and right. what happens. And I think if we would have had this kind of playoff rotation discussion in June, we'd which would like, have been great. absurd yeah. to have the discussion, but we'd be like, yeah, he's probably their third starter. Yeah, I mean, right. Hell, he might be their second starter. I mean, he was really making a push to be an all-star type of yeah. guy. Yeah. And then it just completely fell apart. So he certainly has enough time here. I mean, if he pitches well against Texas and well against Cleveland, that's plenty for me to yeah. see. He could reemerge as the third starter, which then would allow them to move Maeda to the rotation, right. setting aside whether you think Ryan or, or to, Maeda. To the bullpen. To the bullpen, right. excuse me. Right. Setting aside whether you think Maeda or Ryan is the better choice for the third starter. But if it's a toss-up, or even if you think Maeda is slightly better, right. you might choose Ryan for that role because it enables you to right. use Maeda as a reliever, whereas I don't yes. think they would use uh, Ryan as a – uh, high le- I, have to ima- I have to imagine for that initial three game set, especially right. those starters are going to have such a quick hook. Especially True. if you've got think, but somebody like Keuchel and Maeda sitting back, they're like, "Well, we can bring them in inning three, and they'll last through inning six, and now we're back." Particularly to back the third back. starter, because that's a do or die game. Well, that's true. Too. I mean, third right. starters. Are, right. I mean, and do or die. You know, game seven, game five, game three, whatever the scenario. Right. Everything changes. I mean, you right. see. Hall of Fame pitchers get removed in the second inning because it's <laughs> yes, just like he's right. not great tonight. We're moving on. Right. Yeah. Like you just don't have time. He's not even to necessarily it. giving up runs. We just don't right. like the spin rate. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and right. so, yeah, I think that's one of the factors here is can Joe Ryan pitch well enough over the next three starts or four starts to regain their faith that he's a playoff caliber starter? I'm personally very open to that idea. I think, I think if, so too. I, I'm willing to believe that the – He pitched the second best game of the year. Right, he, I mean, had the, he, had he, did, fir- he did the first shutout in, in before five the, years. the Atlanta start when he strained his groin. Right, he had a two ninety five ERA with a hundred strikeouts and right. fifteen walks through yeah. like ninety four innings. I mean, he was and legit. He pitched, just pitched a complete game shutout. Right, right. <laughs> the, the start before. So right. I think that's part of the factor, and then the domino effect that has on the bullpen and everything right. else. I think is definitely something to watch uh, with the rotation. I think you know, it's remarkable that Keiko is. In the spot he is, <laughs> yes. And that now he's just the fifth start. I mean, he's just in the rotation fully yeah. for a first place team. When he was out of baseball until June, right? Then he signed a minor league deal with the Twins. They were not in any hurry to call him up, right? To the fact that he pushed back his first opt out and then kind of forced their hand with a uh, August first opt out. So ultimately, that, we kind of forced Ryan to admit that he was going that he had a groin yeah. injury too. But and right. so, and I'm. We'll never know this 
if it's 100% true or not, but I think if he would have pitched poorly against Pittsburgh right. two weeks ago, whatever day that was, right. uh, that not only would have been it for him with the Twins, but extrapolating from that, that might have just been it for him at age 35. Like, yeah. I don't know where else he's going. Maybe he signs a minor league deal with somebody next spring or whatever. Right. Instead, he takes a perfect game into the seventh. They're kind of on the fence with what to do with Ober. They give over one more start where they turn Keiko into a piggyback. Ober struggles again. Keiko throws five shutout innings again. And then they basically say, all right, Keiko's in, Ober's yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, and now it's just Dallas Keiko every fifth day in the rotation. Right. Now, could he somehow pitch well enough down the stretch that he's a playoff starter? I- I'm Look, I- I've been skeptical of Keiko every step of the way here. Yeah. So I'm not a reliable narrator on what may or may not happen here. I just would have such a hard time. Now, I guess there are certain matchups if you're facing a team that has a lot of really good left-handed hitters. Maybe. That you view him as more appealing than a Joe Ryan or a Kenta Maeda, although Ryan's been better against lefties and, and Maeda you know, can get lefties out too. Uh, but I think most of their likely opponents, Mariners, Astros, Rangers, uh, even Blue Jays, yeah, yeah. Especially Blue are Jays. pretty right-handed yeah, right. anyway. And so that's not... I don't know. I don't want to throw out a 35-year-old lefty who can't strike anybody out in the playoffs. That's just not something I would want to do. But I've been wrong about Dallas Keuchel pretty much on every <laughs> every true. front that's here fair. so far. So who knows? But I think that's kind of where the the uh, the playoff rotation stands. I think it's going to be Lopez and Gray or Gray and Lopez for games one and two. They got to get those guys to the finish line I feeling would think good so, too, right? obviously. Yeah. I think it's going to be either Joe Ryan or Kenta Maeda for a potential game three. I think they would very much like Joe Ryan to take hold of that and make that an easy decision yes. in part because I think he's a higher uh, upside third starter, possibly. Possibly. And in part because they wouldn't mind having Maeda, Maeda in the, the bubble. Uh, okay. Multiple weird roles. And then the the other thing that we really haven't talked about, it's seems like it happened a while ago, but Buxton <laughs> and Kirilov have joined Willie Castro in rehabbing with the Saints at AAA. Buxton played a game in center field uh, two nights ago for his first time in over a year in center field, yeah. like 370 days or something. He played, I think, seven innings, had a couple of balls hit to him, had a hit and two walks, seemed to run the bases okay. Then yesterday was a scheduled day, day off, off for him. Yep. The key will be how does he feel today? today. Yeah. Can he DH today? Can he? I'm going to guess that would be what they'd want him to do. Then can he play center field tomorrow? Right after DHing today, and if you do that and you get a few more hits and you run the bases, then you start to think, all right, well, how many how many he more could, times he, does he need to do this before we say, all right, let's do it? Yeah. Right. Kirilov, the the thing he really needs to prove. I mean, Buxton needs to hit also, but what Buxton is really trying to prove. With this rehab is, I'm healthy enough to play, period, but then I'm also healthy enough to actually play some center field, even if it's once or twice a week, because that's the role they need him for, because a pure DH, Byron Buxton, only works if Byron Buxton is great and your other DH options are middling, and neither of those things have been true this season. With Kirilov, he's got to show he's healthy, that's always with Kirilov, but within that, he's just got to hit the ball hard. Right. Like he's got to hit the ball hard and he's got to elevate the ball and he's got to convince them that the shoulder problems and also just his ever lingering wrist right. issues right. are not a hindrance. And so I watched most of the game last night. He had four at bats. He had three hits. Um, 
one was nearly a homer to right center. Okay. It banged off the wall in right center. Okay. In fact, the announcer, Sean Aronson, who does a great job for right. the Saints, he's also their media relations P- guy, P- yeah. uh, thought it was a homer at the time. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry, Sean. Uh, he does a great job, though, I will say. Uh, so that's good. He put the ball in the air to right center. He pulled it. He hit it 400 and something feet. It banged off the wall for a double. Okay. He also had two singles. Uh, one was kind of a ground ball, hit sharply, but a ground ball up the middle. And okay. the other was a very textbook left-handed hitter singling in front of the, le- the right fielder. Okay. Just, you know, a line drive, but low line drive, just sort Texas of. Texas leaguer kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's he has a lot of those. But the homer, the near homer is the one you go, all right, he's driving the ball. And right. so he's going to. He played first base last night. He actually they turned a nice uh, var, uh, who was it? It was a ground ball. Varlin was in a little trouble in his fourth inning. Okay, I think he had first and third with one outs. Sharp ground ball. The Kirilov scoops it up, throws to Brooks Lee at second base. Nice. Brooks Lee then throws back to Louis Varland, who had covered at first base. Nice little inning that's double play. Good was, to hear. It was a good little uh, okay, a little well, preview of the future, yeah. baby. Right. Um, I'm still. I've been watching a lot of Saints games and clips lately, hoping to see kind of the full scope of Brooks Lee defensively because he's right. been playing yeah. a lot of shortstop. He right. plays occasional third base, but he just hasn't had that many like difficult balls hit to him. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like right. just from a sample size standpoint. But that was a nice double play turn. Uh, but anyway. Kirilov, I think, had one or two hits in his first game, too. The, the test with him is going to be how does the shoulder feel after you've played a couple games in a row, but really the test is, is he driving the ball? Right, yeah. is, that's always the test yes. with him. And so I think Castro, if he's not activated today, will be activated during this Texas series, uh, assuming you know God will in the pregnancy, his wife giving birth, all go smoothly and all right. that, obviously. I don't have any inside information on that. Uh, his wife... Uh, didn't call me back. <laughs> no. Uh, but I think he's going to beat them back. The question will be basically like how many games do they need to see Kirloff driving the ball? How many times do they need to see Buxton play center field right. before they go, all right, let's do it. Uh, and right. I, I think it's going to be sooner than later, but yeah. it might be might be a Friday for the next homestand as opposed to Monday right. in Cleveland. They do tend to like to wait until the team returns home, but here's what I would say about that. I just got done saying a couple times how the whole season's right. this, yes. yep. these next six games. So if you really well, think those guys are in position to help you, wouldn't you want them for the Cleveland series? I mean, we talked about this on the Patreon, I think, on Wednesday morning, where Tuesday night, the depressing loss that they had, where they seemingly had opportunity after opportunity after after opportunity to score and couldn't put anything right. together. You took a look at the bottom of that lineup after, you know, oh, we just missed, you know, Royce Lewis had the bases loaded and just missed something and Jeffers just struck out up there in the uh, seven, eight, nine batters. We get to our, uh, you know, Vasquez at catcher, Gallo at first base and Michael Taylor at center field. Right. Well, those three positions, if that if that's Jeffers at catcher and Kirilov at, <laughs> in first base right. and uh, Buxton in center field, I feel a lot better about that lineup. Who knows? I mean, you would, except right. you don't know what they're yeah, going to yeah, be if, like. If I've got... The, the player the danger, I want for right? that, right. It's yes, like, exactly. okay, the, that Cleveland series is everything. Right. We'd love to have Kirilov and Buxton and Castro and everybody back for that. 
Except, what if they come back and they're still a little rusty? Then you're putting guy. And with, in Buxton's case, are you comfortable starting Byron Buxton in center field, which he has not done since last August for right. you in the truly the biggest game of the entire season? Right. Well, you're gonna have to find out because that's what it's been building towards. Basically, I, I don't know if it was purposeful or not on that subject. Uh, Jeffers got two of the three starts versus Cleveland. We were wondering whether yeah. that we would see if we would get that as a hint of right. what we're gonna see in the postseason. I know it's still pretty close to a 50 50 split. Yeah. I don't know that we've seen Jeffers play catcher two games in a row. Truth be told and part of that was like he was dealing with the heat in milwaukee and such right. so you know when he's come also back been here uh, he's been swinging through a lot of fastballs lately which, yes he uh, has been i mean look it could just be a rough four games or whatever right but uh and so here's within that though i think it's worth noting that uh it's hard not to assume at this point that gallo is gone as soon as those guys well, we just talked about comes back monday yeah, I mean, because, I mean, just from a roster standpoint, they don't have room for 17 right. hitters or 16 hitters, even with a 28-man roster. Right. I do think it's possible they go 15 hitters, 13 pitchers. It's possible. I mean, I, I was actually told that is yes. possible. I yeah. asked somebody about right. that. But they're not going to go 16 hitters, 12 pitchers. And I think even 15, 13 is something they would like to avoid, but it might just be a necessity because you just right. you got a lot of guys coming back and there aren't that many obvious cut guys right. other than Gallo. And I know we've been talking about the end of Gallo here for quite a <laughs> right. while, and he's much like Dallas Keuchel kind of hung on in a different way than Dallas Keuchel. But at some point, it, it becomes pretty straightforward. A, they just need the roster spots if Kirloff, Castro, and Buxton are coming back. One of those guys can be added just as a sure. September guy, which is going to be Castro. But you're going to need to make some right. room for them. Yeah. Yeah. B, Kirloff is going to be playing first base and right. is a left-handed hitter. Yep. Well, that's what the only real role Gallo has had has been playing first base and a couple of starts in center. Except and now you're adding Buxton, Buxton back in center. Yeah. And, by the way, you're adding Willie Castro. Castro right. You yeah. no longer need Gallo in center. Right. You no longer need Gallo at first because you have Kirloff at first. Yeah. And the the real tell here <laughs> it was Wednesday afternoon. Was Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> Gallo I, starts I, the game. I actually was going to ask you. We're sure he wasn't hurt or anything. I right? asked. Okay, good. Believe me. Thank you. I asked. All right. I think I asked on record. <laughs> Sorry, I can't remember if stuff's on record or off record. But Gallo starts the game against a right-handed pitcher, right? And then his spot comes up in a key situation, right? Against that same, same right-handed pitcher, pitcher, and the Twins pinch in like hit him. The fourth inning or yeah, third inning, fourth right. or fifth inning. I want to say they pinch hit him. And I'm thinking, who uh, who's on the bench that they're and Jordan, Jordan Luplo comes, comes back. out the right-handed batter and versus the right-handed. God pitcher. love Jordan Luplo. Right, he's a useful player and a good dude. But the entire reason he's in the major leagues is because he's a right-handed hitter right. who does well against left-handed pitchers, and it's a right-handed pitcher on the mound. Right. And Joey Gallo is a left-handed hitter. Right. Why start Joey Gallo? Against a right-handed hitter, if you yes. don't want him facing that right-handed pitcher, excuse me, and you would rather have Jordan Luplo, who has no real track record of hitting right-handed pitchers and the whatsoever. the answer was he wanted a ball in play, right? right? Baldelli told... Although there were two outs, I think. Uh, one maybe out. Not, I maybe, okay, one okay, out. I could be wrong. I can't remember. But uh, Baldelli said afterward, no, this is the explanation he gave <laughs> on camera. Right, so, yes. you know, it's not, not true, but it's maybe not the full truth. And he said... Uh, well, we like the matchup of Luplo better. We really wanted someone who could put the ball in play. Uh, we just felt like in that spot with runners on, middle of the game, we really wanted to kind of push the issue. And we, he said something like, I don't want to misquote him, but paraphrasing, he said something like, we know Joey can come through with a, with a big hit, like a monster home right. run, but that's not what we needed in that spot. Right. We just wanted a, basically a 
better right. caliber at bat, someone who can shoot the ball to right. Now, but Jordan Lupo is not really that guy. It'd be one thing if it was Donovan Solano coming off the bench to do right. that or something like that, or even I don't even know, even Vasquez or something right. coming off the bench to do that. But that's not Jordan Lupo's game on any level. Jordan right. Lupo is not a contact hitter, and he's not a guy who hits righties. And I believe I I know he made an out. I yeah, believe he, he struck he out. Made an out. Yeah. Did he strike out? I don't remember. Anyway, uh, I mean, that's Bibby was. Bibby's really good. good. Like, uh, yeah, the right, the right-handed pitcher that Cleveland had on the mound is really good. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I thought is like they looked at his first at, at Gallo's first at bat versus Bibby and just said, "Well, this is yeah. this is not going mean, to work." Look at any Gallo at bat in the last well two years, but <laughs> some at bats could look worse this than is, others. This is the tell, and you know, I feel like we were at this point about three weeks ago where he was kind of playing sporadically, even against righties. He was getting pinch hit for. Uh, he had been, you know, he hit 150 over the course of 70 games or something like that. And then he goes four for four with two homers. And it's like, well, okay, he's, yeah. he's here for a while. And now he's hit, you know, 125 since then. They've really started to use him like almost purely as like a defensive replacement and right. pinch runner. And I'm not saying he's bad at either of those two things, but he's not good enough at either of those two things at this stage of his career to use him as that. I mean, if you just want a left-handed guy who can play center field and run, Call up Andrew Stevenson from Triple A, right. like an actual guy who can play center field and run. Right. Like if the bat, you have no faith in the bat anyway. There are guys who can do the other parts of that job much better than Joey Gallo. And so, do we know if he lives in Dallas? Joey Gallo, yeah, to return to Texas, get it, get <laughs> he's going to Texas yeah. and gets his. Um, and then also you toss in that horrid base running play that he had against uh, Texas, yeah. uh, and all that. Um, you know, I, I think. The end is near, and it's deserved. I mean, I'm, I don't want to be, like, too harsh on this guy as a person. He's been through some tough times here the last couple right. of years. But that experiment, that $11 million investment just did not – it has not worked. And they're at a point now from a roster standpoint, but also just from, like, a usage standpoint and a talent standpoint, he's not – Right. someone who needs to be in the mix at this stage like right. they have guys who can do everything he does much better and he's holding back other guys and that's not even to mention guys like stevenson or austin martin or whoever who can do that job and are going to be stuck at triple they've a. certainly give him given him every opportunity oh, so, much so, so much I mean, so much so much so that we actually started talking on the, one of the patrons this week about whether or not we need to reevaluate the twins when they give a one-year contract right. to somebody and what it means because it seems to mean more than we think it should mean. You know, we it's been a it's been a mantra of this podcast for ten years. No such thing as a bad one year deal, right? Because right. you can always it goes cut bad, bait on it. You cut bait, you move on. But this team does seem to stay with yeah. one year deals, especially on veterans. And right, <laughs> I agree. I completely and, agree. Uh, you know, maybe we need to start being more critical of one year deals, or else just start pushing for like this philosophy has to change. This is crazy. Yes. Right. I would say push for multi-year deals. That doesn't really solve anything either. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. I agree with that. Can we sign half-year deals? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so but when yes, it doesn't work, we get rid of them. <laughs> at the point at which the left-handed hitting slugger that you signed for $11 million right. is being pinch hit for in the middle innings of games with guys on base against right-handed pitchers, that you are you know, hoisting a flag that says this person yeah. is of no use to us at this stage. I do wonder if a month ago... Had we, you know, Kirilov and Buxton not been out, which is the two positions that Gallo can actually provide some right. value at, if he would have already been gone. Right. You know, I, I mean, right? I truly the, think, in some ways, maybe it was fortuitous to have him on the roster when those two two very disparate positions end up going out. You yeah. don't you don't often have a guy that covers both center field and first base. 
Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not the rarest combo, but yes, I get what you're saying. But he hasn't been good during that no, he time. He has not helped them at no, all. And no. I, I mean, I really think if Kirilov, just Kirilov alone, hadn't gone on to the IL with the shoulder problems right around that time, yeah. Gallo was like on the verge of being DFA'd, whatever that was, a month ago. Uh, and then you have Buxton. Buxton and Castro. Right. And then so. I also think the other thing that is a fact that there is the emergence of Walner becoming a trusted well, you know, every day against righties right. because that took yeah, Gallo out of the corner outfield mix yeah. and really sort of uh, – Kepler's rebound too. Well, that's I mean, true too. Yeah, yeah right. it, it, I mean, it has just been a case where you've had multiple people kind of go past Gallo. Yes. Uh, Everybody. To the, point where, to the point where, I mean, it's not even – it's not even like a, a punishment. It's just I, I just don't know where this guy provides any right. value and anymore. In some on this ways, right. it speaks to what you were saying about the twins. You know, hanging on to these one-year veterans, and he's a Boris client, and they have a billion Boris clients. I'm sure that's a factor. Uh, and they just have respect for Joey Gallo. Right. He's a good guy. He's a veteran. He's a right. multi-time all-star. Yes. All that stuff. But it speaks to what you were saying about their you know kind of stubbornness of cutting bait on some of these guys and it, it works out i mean it works out with emilio pagan and kepler although that those weren't like true one-year deals but kind of uh, being <laughs> stubborn with yeah. them has worked out and so i'm sure they would point to that and say well this could have worked out too but you you get to a point where it becomes like it becomes like almost farce like warped <laughs> yeah. or absurd or yeah farce where you're saying now think about what we're talking about here, and I'm sure the twins had similar conversations, which is like, well, he can't hit this guy. We signed just for hitting, basically. Right. I mean, so now we're going to start him in center field where he's really stretched, right? And had gone years without playing there. We're going to use him as like a pinch runner, but he's a below average runner. I mean, he's not a bad base runner, but he's a below average runner. We're going to like start him at first base, which is the most offensive driven position, just so we can remove him like mid game for a righty on righty yeah. match. Yeah, and that was a weird, that was just such a weird substitution. You're getting to things where you're parsing his like utility. You just keep like taking away chunks of it until right. there's nothing left. And if the, at the point at which you're saying, well, he's you know the last guy on the bench, he's basically a pinch runner, defensive replacement, an early inning left-handed bat. Well, then you go, there there are a thousand guys who could do like you got five guys with the Saints who could do that, right. including Stevenson and I don't know, I could think of other guys like Austin Martin's right-handed, right. but he could do all those yeah, things right. better. Like, I mean, I, I can I can see making the argument like for this. I mean, we're talking about the last three four weeks of the season, right? Like. It, um, wow. That that we, we, we was clear that he was on the team. In I would part say the All Star break. If they'd have cut him at the All Star break, I don't think it would have been egregious sure, at fair, that point. But fair. yeah, you're right. right. The, you know, I can see the argument being: Listen, we need a center fielder and a first baseman now. We got two, both of our backups, both both of our center fielders out, and we got our first baseman out. Sure, we've got a guy on the roster who does that. We might as well give him a little bit more time, see if he can find that at this time. Well, but, that's clearly what they decided. Right. And I, I just would I say. Can, I can hear that argument. There are guys who can do that better. Well, maybe. I mean, cl clearly the way it played out, that's the case, right? right? But, you know, um, I mean, especially the center field part. I well, mean, well, obviously. I don't. He right. hasn't made any like horrible plays in center field, well, he's but he's okay. just not a right. I mean, he's just not yeah. a center fielder at this stage of his career. So, yeah, that's the, that's the Gallo situation. Knowing this, he'll start, he'll be the cleanup hitter in game one of the playoffs, yeah. the way we've, uh, we've tried to bury him a thousand times here. <laughs> I did wonder, uh, when, when we saw that substitution, yes. talking to various people in the stands you there. You just so rarely see a lefty removed for a righty against when the we righty said, when we said mid game. That, I thought, 
we were ta- talking to people. I said, "Well, he's got to be hurt." Right. Like Gallo must have hurt himself. And maybe he's had, playing center field. Or he's something had a like lot that. of nagging. He gets a lot of like cramping. And uh, if you watch Joey Gallo, sure. he's constantly stretching and bending and touching right. his toes, and yeah. he, he's very we aware just, of that. I just assumed he was hurt, and frankly, I assumed. Uh, one of my comment to the guy next to me was, "Well, he found a way to stay on the team for another ten right. days." <laughs> well, that works too. Yeah, that works too. <laughs> I mean, look, they have to pay him either way, (laughs) and it's past the playoff eligibility, not that a playoff team would want him, but, you know, if they want to say, are you willing to go on the IL with whatever problem you want to have, then then you keep him in the organization or whatever. One other note I want to – people get um, confused about this every year, about who's eligible for a playoff roster, and it's real simple, Uh, and we probably should have said it at the top. You are correct. But there's – the rules used to be slightly more complicated – but essentially, if you're in the organization as of this morning, forty man roster or in the organization, in the organ- see, okay, you're okay, confused okay, by okay, it too. Yeah. In the organization as of midnight last night, so as of right now, you're eligible for the playoffs. Now the confusion comes from the idea that if you're not on the forty man roster, an exception needs to be made for you to be added to the forty man roster right. for the playoffs. But that exception can be as simple as any injured player can be removed essentially from playoff consideration and replaced by anyone in the organization. And okay. so we've seen this a lot over the years. That's how like Alex Kirloff sure. got on the playoff roster right. in 2020 right. or whatever. So essentially, you could call up some dude from rookie ball as a pinch runner if he was the fastest guy in your organization and just say he's replacing, I don't know, Jorge Alcala. Right. Who's just on the injured list or, you know, whoever's on the, uh, Tyler Malley. Okay. Then, yeah. Yeah. Look, okay. One thing the twins got plenty of is dudes on the injured <laughs> yeah, list. Fair. So if you just think of it as anyone on the injured list, like on the 60 day can be substituted for with anyone in the organization from top to bottom, right. whether or not they're on the 40 man roster, 12 or right. 1 a.m., right. you know, September 1st. Right. That makes everyone who's there eligible, right. basically. I mean, they need to do some paperwork to right. make that happen. You're not you're, if you've got two or three guys on the injured list. You certainly don't don't have two or three guys who aren't on the forty man roster that you are that you want to call right. out for the playoffs. Right. And there. so when you think about, you know, who could they add? Like Austin Martin isn't on the forty man roster, right. but he can be on the playoff roster. He's eligible. Everyone's eligible. Now I don't know that that'll come in play for the Twins because as we've talked about, they got too many hitters potentially anyway. Yes, and most of the pitchers, like we're talking about Varlin coming up or Brock Stewart coming back and all that, they're already on, right? You know, the forty man. But just theoretically, and this applies to other teams too, if the guys in the organization today, they can get them onto the playoff roster if they want them to be on the playoff roster. Uh, okay, let's see. There were like one or two little notes. I just always like to to clear the books here. Um, I don't know, Correa, <laughs> just in general. Uh, had like his worst month overall. Somebody asked, somebody asked me what was somebody asked me was the Correa Rosenthal thing, you know, a calculated decision by the Twins to well, explain how he has been so bad recently. And I, I have thought, some unique insight into that because I watched it happen. Right? Yeah, I know, and I I I explained what you're about to so explain. Go ahead. We were in the clubhouse. It was the first game of the Fox did the game the next day. Right. I can't even have lost all Sa- I think Saturday was the Fox game. Whatever. So, so the day before, Ken Rosenthal's right. in town, and Ken Rosenthal is my colleague at The Athletic, but he also does television for Fox. And so right. they tend to, when they're doing a game at Target Field, he'll come in the day before right. and do interviews with people because he's really good at his job and he wants to get a sense of the team that they're covering the next day and all that. Right. So we're standing in the middle of the clubhouse, and it's 
Dan and me and Ken Rosenthal are just chatting. Three, uh, three of the athletics finest. Sure, really. of course, yes. just three of the all-time great baseball. I like reporters. that you left off the noun. Finest what you saying or what? <laughs> yes, right, yeah. Finest, yeah, just finest. <laughs> yeah, three of America's most wanted. Uh, and Correa walks by and goes to the back where his locker is, and. Uh, we Rosenthal says something. How's he been doing? Rosenthal's interviewed him many times before, obviously. And Dan says, "Actually, that's a good chance. If you want to interview him, that's you know, go do it. Ask him about how he's feeling. You know, all this stuff." And Rosenthal goes, "Yeah, all right, I'm gonna do that." And he walks over, and they have a and that's why they have fifteen right. minute conversation. Right. Neither of them were yeah. prepped for it. Yeah. Wasn't so some what master prompted plan. it was having a Saturday uh, Saturday game on Fox, such that Rosenthal yes. was in the in the clubhouse and and. Has a relationship with Correa. They're gonna go, yes. they, he also right, talked to right. Kepler and he talked to Baldelli right. and he talked to Falvey and all that stuff. And so, if you read what he wrote, which was which was good, it really kind of hammered home the stuff we've suspected. Uh, and you know, Correa has said it, right. the fact that he's got plantar fasciitis has not been a mystery. No. I mean, he's been open about that right. since three months. The extent ago. to which it is bothering right. him has been the mystery. Yes, and I think it's you know it's one of those things where you say how you feeling to him if you're. Not Ken Rosenthal. Right. Yes. If you're just someone who sees him every day, he says, I'm feeling fine. I'm playing today. And he's played 90-something percent of the games yes. over the last three or four months or whatever, right. uh, for better or worse. But when a, the best baseball writer in the world comes up to you and says, how are you feeling? You say, not great, actually. Would you like <laughs> right. Let's talk yeah, about it. Right. And some of the quotes were, I don't think, surprising to anybody, but the extent to which I think he basically said, this is the worst injury I've ever had in my life. Right. And he's had some broken yeah, stuff. Yeah. He's had bit injuries uh, that cost him $150 million. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and he says, the most p- painful thing I've ever dealt with, but the difficulty of it is, and guys who have had this, Baldelli talked about this. Baldelli had it for a whole season and then right. it just went away. There are some days you wake up, many days you wake up, and your foot might be a little sore, your heel might, but you're like, I feel pretty good today. And then in the third inning, you move one direction right. quickly and you go oh this is the worst i felt in my entire life right. and then for the next three days you're either out or playing through something right. and then all of a sudden it's back or to feeling good again. double play after double right. play after double play well right. i mean it's yes. clear from what i mean his speed it's hard to remember now but when correa first came up when he was 20 21 22 I mean, he's pretty fast he stole right. bases yes. he wasn't fast for a shortstop but he was pretty fast and you can look just at sprint speed he's basically gone from I think he was like in the 80th percentile his first couple of years. Then he goes 60, 50, 40. I mean, it's just been a gradual, pretty steady progression or regression, I right, guess. Yeah. And he's been slow for a shortstop for quite a while now. Sure. Now he's just slow. Like he's down in the 30th percentile for running. And part of it is he's just aged from a pretty slow guy to a very slow guy. But, I mean, it's clear on some of these ground balls he he just can't run, and you know right. we've seen him try to I think conserve uh, or avoid some pain here. And he's a right-handed hitter who hits the ball hard. And when you do that, and you hit it on the ground, right. yeah. and you're right. slow, yeah. those are the guys who rack up double plays. I mean, he's yeah. already tied I think the Twins' record with 28. <laughs> but if you go look who holds the Twins' record, it's Harmon Killebrew, right. Puckett. Yeah. It's all the right-handed, you know, guys like Kadire had a ton of double plays. It's right. all the right, good right-handed hitters who hit the ball hard. But when you're slow and you're right-handed and you hit the ball hard on the ground, those and are double plays. And you plays. know what also kills your uh, WPA? Double plays. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's right. been a huge part of it. Right. And it's gotten almost absurd of late where right. because he continues to bat second or third or fourth in the lineup, right. he does – I mean, those are the spots that are going to come yeah. up in, in with runners on. Agreed. And – 
it's gotten to the point where I will joke to somebody next to me, like, here comes a 643, and it's a 643. Like, right, yes. I cannot tell you how many times that's happened over the last, like, six weeks, where it's like, we're sitting here going, maybe he'll only make one out here. Like, right. he, he hasn't had a ton of clutch hits in general, yeah. but within that, he's really killing a lot of rallies by grounding into the double plays. And I think, you know, if he were not Carlos Correa in big, bold letters... There's no way he would have maintained the spot in the batting order that yeah, he has. Right. Uh, I mean, particularly my hope is, I think, if you start to get Kirloff back and Buxton back and you you know, keep Julian and Polanco and Lewis going well, right. although I will say Julian is also dealing with a hamstring issue and can barely run and has been DH only. And yes. the, the last out he made is, yeah. a couple of days ago, he could barely get the first base. So that's another issue. But – there's no way that Correa shouldn't be batting like seventh instead of third in you know, right. a yeah, lot of these right. alignments. Yeah. Now, does that matter? Is that I mean, he's still yeah. going to come but up. They with, don't have a lot of great right-handed bats to begin well, with. That's the other yeah, problem, right, and right. that's why Buxton's return is so big yes. too. But yeah, I mean, I just it's uh, it becomes tricky. Well, that's also because that's also why why you really want to win that second game and second and third game that they had in the series in Cleveland is oh, it would yeah. get it would be great to get. Listen, I don't think plantar fasciitis is going to be fixed by a 10-day no. IL that's trip. That's the problem, right? really. But I wouldn't mind giving him a little time sure. off. Like, what, whatever I can get him, I want to get him. No, the, I mean, the day you they— do, You do not want this this uh, division decided the last weekend right. of the in Colorado. The day they clinch the division, he should cease playing. Right. And, in fact, I would probably say the day they're at 98%. Right, you know, which they would have been if Duran converts that the other day. Right. I would give him time off. But to your point, I mean, I've asked a lot of people about this who have had it, doctor, you know, trainer types. It's not a thing that's going to go away in two weeks or even necessarily a month. Like for right. Baldelli, Baldelli said he had it the whole season one time in Tampa Bay, and it was brutal. Uh -huh. Like it was just right. horrible. And like near the end of the off season, after like basically taking an entire winter off. It finally felt okay. One day he woke up and yes, it was fine. one day, right. three and a half months later or whatever, having not done anything on his foot. Right. Uh, but you know, you can't. That's just not right. viable. Yes. Right turns, now. It turns out there's not a, a schedule. It's not right. like a bone healing. Yes, right. Uh, and you know, you hope that whatever happens to Correa down the stretch and into October this season, that he is able to then experience what Baldelli did, which is take the off season yeah. and, you know, let's say right. Jan 1, all of a sudden he's going, oh, actually, my yes. foot feels good. But there's no guarantee of that either. I mean, this is a thing that can end careers, essentially. Yeah, like, go back, Google uh, Timberwolves Michael Williams <laughs> if you <laughs> yes, really want right. a bummer. Um, and so I think it's very obvious now that a huge part of Correa's struggles this season are related to the foot. But how you kind of view that is that By a way, good this thing? Is not the foot with the the, yeah, it's the other foot. Yeah, right. His ankle's been fine. I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Uh, whether you view that as like a positive or a negative thing is is kind of subjective. It's like, sure. well, it's not a positive. He's been bad. Right. But for the next five years of his two hundred million dollar contract, there's at least some hope that well, if he can get the the heel right, right, we can almost chalk this up as just. You know, out from a year, yeah. Right. But then it's also like, well, having a debilitating one of its chronic, <laughs> right? Debilitating yeah, right, foot right. injury is not generally a good thing, and there's no guarantee that you can just sort of brush it to the side. But yeah, I mean, as you watch Correa, I guess I give him credit for playing essentially ninety something percent of the games over the last three or four months in in obvious discomfort. I don't know that that's necessarily helped him or the Twins by doing right. that. 
I don't know it's hurt them. I will give him – I mean, he's been phenomenal defensively, which seems impossible to me for a guy who is having this level of problems with a heel and mobility issues and and range issues. Uh, But he's just been fantastic defensively, save for maybe two or three plays that I can think of that he hasn't made. Uh, But, yeah, he's he's clearly hurt. And I don't – I mean – I don't know that that's going to be better by October, even if you are able to rest him a little bit. But the the sense with Correa, and I think there's uh, some wish fulfillment in this because he kind of talks about this. Baldelli kind of talks about this. And even guys behind the scenes will kind of talk about it. They're kind of hoping no matter how bad this season goes for him, and it's he's not going to end up with good numbers. He's going to end up with the worst numbers of his career right. almost no matter yeah. what happens. They're kind of just hoping, like, get him, get him to October and it'll be different just because he's different in October. That's like the whole premise of Carlos Correa, right? Is like he's really good. Right. And then he's great in October. Right. It's going to be tricky this year. I, it's going to be tricky yeah. this year. I, mean, I think that's just a, a tricky premise overall. I think the idea that the guys we think of as amazing in October, I don't know that if you'd had him play 100 Octobers, that would have necessarily been borne out. But if you have him play seven, sometimes you flip a coin seven times and it lands on heads six times. And then you go, this is a heads coin. Right. Well, I don't know that that's really true. The idea of, you know, David Ortiz is Mr. October. <laughs> Derek Jeter is Mr. October. Well, yeah, they're, they're good players who rose to the occasion X number of times. I don't know that you could then play a thousand Octobers and always count on that. And Correa's great October. He's done it four or five times throughout his career. Right. He is one of the best uh, performers in the history of October. I will note that at least one of those great Octobers came for a team that was uh, found to be cheating. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, but he performed well in October after that as well. But I, I just I don't know that I fully buy into the idea, even without the injury as a factor, that well no matter how he plays from April to September, if we can just get him into a playoff lineup, all will wash away and he'll be a superstar. I don't know that that's like actual like logically a thing. Right. And you toss in the foot injury and I really don't know that that's logically a yeah. thing. But with that said, he could have the worst season ever and if he hits a three-run home right. run in game two of a first-round series and propels the Twins to I their... I keep kind of waiting for that moment. This I've well, been waiting for that moment in August. been waiting for that moment for yes, two years, right. basically. I mean, he's had some good moments, yeah. but for the most part. Uh, and then one other... Uh, oh, uh, Josh Donaldson. I, th- I, I thought we should mention Royce Lewis getting back-to-back grand slams yes. this last Chris week. Pa- so, like, If you're looking for a guy who looks like he's... Uh, coming around in the clutch yes get him to october <laughs> yeah, right and then the bum only hit a solo homer in then in the third game yeah, he choked with the bases loaded so i was mentioning <laughs> yeah it's true uh i was mentioning that we were talking to chris paddock and everybody kept coming up to him excited to see him so royce was among those players royce lewis and royce is uh, such a nice sort of right. humble person that he didn't want to interrupt the writers who were interviewing him he was the only person for whom <laughs> that was true and so he just sort of lingered and i stepped aside and I finally was like, go ahead, like, say hello to your friend here. <laughs> and he, so he steps in to just shake his hand, like, give him five. And Chris Paddock goes, Mr. Grand Slam himself. <laughs> and this was between, it, this was the day before, the morning after he had hit the second right. Grand Slam. Yeah, sorry. And he goes, you got it. You better hit one tonight while I'm here. And Royce <laughs> goes, I'll see what I, I'll see what I can do. Had a chance. First inning. Solo homer only. What a yeah. bomb. Uh, but yeah, Josh Donaldson will end on this. But Josh Donaldson released by the Yankees, who didn't want him around in September yeah. uh, for a team that's out of it, and signed yesterday. Just Did he under really the sign? wire. 
with the Milwaukee Brewers. No way. A minor league contract. He's heading to AAA Nashville for what will be a short stint. And basically, because uh, he hasn't played since July, June. Um, the Yankees had him on the 60-day IL, which resets when you're when you're traded. The plan, it sounds like, I mean, he signed, I don't know, six hours before the deadline for playoff eligibility. So he's eligible for the playoffs. Right. He'll go to AAA, try to show he's healthy, try to hit a little bit, and then come up for the Brewers, who apparently are going to play him at third base, it sounds like, who they've got. They have a rookie who's not been okay. good at third base. Uh, that'd be a hell of a story if uh, Josh Donaldson – plays well down the stretch for a division-winning team and then has a decent October after being... Or single-handedly tanks them. This is, this is the other thing, yeah. It's an interesting um, ingredient to add yeah. to a recipe at the last minute. I'll say right. that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've heard uh, teams in the past, including the Twins, including the Yankees, uh, who have kind of said... Well, we, we, you know, we know he's a big personality, which right. I saw a quote from somebody from the Brewers who essentially said the same. It's big like, personality. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's like they used the same quote from his press right. conference at Target Field. Right. And I'm sure Cashman said the same thing when they traded for him, uh, from the Twins a couple off seasons ago, which is we know he's a, a big personality, but he's a veteran. He's been through the wars and whatever you want to say about Josh Donaldson. A, when healthy, he's been an exceptional player and B he's been to the playoffs a million times with a million teams him facing the twins in the world series is going to be one hell of a story yeah that'll, that'll be good <laughs> I look forward to interviewing him I've got uh, I've got one more thing to uh, to okay. end on uh, statistically speaking uh-huh According to the latest survey from the U.S. Federal Reserve. Oh, how many people have more than $10 million? A net worth of $10 million puts you in the top 2.5% of households in the U- United States by net worth. Which would mean 300 people. Yeah, but that's people. households because that's two people. Yeah, but I mean, how many times? Of our 12,000 downloads, they, it's got to be going with almost 12,000 households. You're trying to tell me that 300 people that listen to us. No. And we skew high. I'm sorry. So it's probably closer to 400. You're trying to tell me out of any 100 people in the United States, <laughs> three of them have more than $10 million. Yeah. I got to start being nicer to people when I see them on the street. <laughs> I'm looking at a lot of people and I'm saying. I did find another one that had it closer to one and a quarter. But yeah. Even that seems very high I to know. me. Maybe I'm speaking as a person who doesn't know anybody who's rich and has never been rich. <laughs> um, God. So you ever, like, a lot of times when I'm just walking around, I'll say to myself, yeah, there's an 11,000 person. There's a quarter million person. <laughs> I come to Bonus's house. I'm like, there's a $4 million person. I don't know why. Uh, you're like the richest guy I know, and it's not clear to me. I don't think that's You true. could buy a car f- without, like, you know, some issues. So that's why when you say there's 3% of the population. I drive around a 2010 Prius. Right. <laughs> you know, it's a nice apartment. It's not. You know, the nicest <laughs> right. apartment. It looks kind of like exactly. my apartment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know how much I paid for that. So yeah, we we're we're, uh, we're doing well for baseball podcasts. We're in the upper <laughs> echelon of baseball sure. podcasts, yeah. which is basically the dregs of society, just overall <laughs> in general. That is true. If true. you saw, you know, well, although do you think three percent of podcasters make ten million dollars? Probably not. No, but we got like the the Pat McAfee's of the world. Sure. And the, uh, it the, might be if we were doing a Yankees podcast or a, a, yeah. a John Boy podcast, Ploof. something like that. We've got well, it. Ploof's cheating. Because <laughs> here's why Ploof is annoying to me. He's a great guy. <laughs> but here's why he's an incredible annoying. Okay. So people can tell him this, too. Yeah, yeah. First of all, he's really good looking. He's too good looking to be in media sure. at this point. Okay. <laughs> uh, beyond that, he was a really good baseball player. He made 
you know, tens of millions of dollars playing baseball, and now he's putzing around in the industry where schlubs like me and you are trying to make a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Stay in your lane, Trevor. Yeah, <laughs> stay in the handsome, good athlete lane, not in the whatever we are. <laughs> then the third thing is he was an early investor in John Boy, and he helped take them to the heights that they're at, where they consistently are one of like one or th- one or two podcasts that beat us every single week, which is incredibly annoying. <laughs> yes. And then I think to this $10 million point, well, Trevor Fufa has $10 million from playing baseball. Sure. And now I'm starting to think he might someday have $10 million, if he doesn't already, from being on podcasts, <laughs> which is infuriating to me. So maybe maybe if he listens to this podcast, he could count against one of the 300 that we've got listening. In which case, he should send me some money. <laughs> Here's your two <laughs> options, Trevor. And I'll give you three options. One, quit the podcast game. Leave right. it for the uggos like us. <laughs> Number two. You can continue to do podcasts and YouTube, but you have to wear a bag over your head. You can't. I'm sick of looking at you with your nice hair and all this stuff. Number three, just give me some, give me some money because all's forgiven at that point. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we will be back on Monday with a Patreon episode. We'd like for you to join us and give us some money. Yeah. It's, it's, let me tell you this: it's hard to get to ten million a dollar. We will be recapping. That's what we found. We'll definitely be recapping the Rangers. Uh, series and also looking forward to the Cleveland series. Yes. We may be talking about the possible return of Buxton and Kirilov to the lineup, yeah, or we don't know. Maybe talking about the release of Joey Gallo, we don't know. Uh, following that, we'll do another show on Wednesday in the middle of the Cleveland series. I'm not sure what that'll be. Probably more about the Cleveland series. Yeah. So uh, All most monetary joking aside, <laughs> if you've been kind of on the fence about joining the Patreon and you're maybe not even familiar with it yeah. or whatever... It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Gleeman. The way it works is you sign up, you become a patron, a supporter. You get the entire archive available to you. It's hundreds of episodes for free. You can listen to as many of them as you want. And then when we put out new episodes, like he said, Monday, Wednesday, you'll get billed $1 for those. And if you were to sign up today, September 1st, and kind of ride with us through the end of the regular season and hopefully for whatever kind of playoff run there is, it'll probably cost you about 10 bucks, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. And if you've made it this far and you sat through that attempted humor about <laughs> Trevor Plouffe and you're still listening, you'll probably like you'll it. enjoy it because these this next week and really this next month and yeah. then we hope October certainly right. will be as interesting as a Minnesota Twins baseball team can potentially get. And so we would love to have you join us. Uh, whether you are Trevor Plouffe or just some schlub like us, <laughs> patreon.com slash Thank you in the meantime to Game Time, BetterHelp, Soda Stick, and Raycon. Raycon. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk to you guys Monday.